welcome to the Quarter to Three Movie Podcast for this month's 3 by 3 our favorite auditions. My name is Tom Chips. Today, I'll be performing On My Own from Les Miserables. Up next, we have Christian Maronsky. Uh, but my friends, they call me LSD. And uh, <laughs> Kelly Wand, what, what song or monologue have you prepared for your audition today? I prefer subtractions. <laughs> Kelly Wand, uh, don't call us. We'll call you. <laughs> Oh. Okay, I can add that to my collection. Uh, Diggis, should we know what your quote was? You will. Ooh, okay, well, how about that? Uh, let's have Kelly Wand go first. Kelly Wand, I'm sorry you didn't get the part, but instead, tell us about a movie that you saw this week. Ooh, I like this. Yeah. Uh, first, I was going to talk about Communion. The, the uh, Christopher Walken? Do you have a Christopher Walken impersonation you've worked on for that movie? It's a knock-knock joke. Kelly, <laughs> like I said, don't call us. We'll call you. I think you'll be saying that a lot tonight. <laughs> Why did you want to talk about – did you recently watch Communion? The Whitley Yeah, I've never Spr- seen it. Is it Joe Dante? It? Who directed that? No. Because I think of it as it's, – it's because Joe Dante did Wolven, which is Whitley Stryber's – not Wolven, uh, Wolven. The Howling. Wolven is, uh, Gregory, yeah. is Gregory uh, Hines and Albert Finney. Yeah. But uh, Wolf, uh, the Gregory howling. Hines, the dancer dude? Yeah, yeah, he's a cop, and there's a yep. scene where he's eating chips, and he goes, you, 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 We keep fuck with these Wolfen, you're going to wake up dead. Kelly <laughs> 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 can you polish that lineup and uh, work on that and give <laughs> us another draft? Dead. <laughs> Wait, what's uh, happening right now? Nothing. So Kelly Wan wants to talk about Communion, which is uh, uh, right. who directed that Kelly Wan? James Wan. No, I think it's is it uh, Philip Moria? Who the fuck? I want to hear the, the Mothman Wolfen. Diaries guy. Wolfen, I don't remember much about it except they it, walk it, up walls. That's one of their super. They also have like it has like wolf POV in Wolfen. I see. Yeah, 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 they do. You're right. Yeah. It predates Predator. That's why it's great. Right. Well, they don't have a HUD or anything. They don't, like, zoom in on stuff. Philippe Mora, is that what you said? Yeah, yeah. Is yeah, that who it was? Yeah, I got yeah. it. Sweet. Where do I win, Kelly Wand? Farts. Yeah, I, I pass. You're in the mail. Right. So go back uh, to communion, sorry. Oh, I just want to say, the aliens in it aren't even the weirdest thing. And they dance. But Tommy Wiseau in the room, I think, was channeling Christopher Walken's performance. And, like, he's super weird. And I think stoned. But that's not the movie I want to talk about. The movie I want to talk about was uh, was uh, I watched Zero Theorem. Why? We already wow. did a we did good Terry yeah. Gilliam last week. Why would you go to Zero Theorem? No, I liked it. You didn't like it? I thought it was didn't, cool. Didn't we do a Zero Theorem podcast? No, we no. did an Imaginarium. Oh, okay. Parnassus, which you maybe you're mixing it up, or maybe you're mixing it up with Minus Man. I get. I, Movie titles with math and then a little confused. I don't care for it. Minus Man, uh, Hampton Fancher, one of the guys who wrote Blade Runner. Oh, Gazunhoit. <laughs> uh, <laughs> wait, you didn't like uh, Zero Theorem? I thought it was neat. Uh, uh, I don't, I don't remember. Sort of like Madeleine Stowe for Dingus, it didn't register for me. Oh, there's a great French chick in it, a blonde lady. What's her name? Uh, Melanie Thierry. Uh, yeah, we've seen her in other stuff, Kelly Wand. She's oh, yeah. uh, an enemy. Isn't she an enemy? She is? Eh, maybe not. Well, I didn't know I what I was remember. looking for. Okay. Well, she's more sex 
based in this. So you think Zero Theorem is not horrible, you're saying? No, I think it's good. I'm surprised you don't like it. I think you're weird. Oh, I'm thinking of Melanie Laurent. Right, she's the one from Enemy. Uh, no, uh, Melanie Theorem. You're Theory. all named Melanie. What do I know her from? Huh, she acts right. kind of like Leah Sadu too. Like all the fr- blonde. French all the last names you guys are saying sound like the word theorem to me. <laughs> <laughs> knock knock, dingus. Uh, all right, so ha- so tell us. So you watched Zero Theorem because we did Twelve Monkeys last week. Yeah. You decide I'm going to check out Terry Gilliam's latest movie. Get a sense for what this Don Quixote thing might be like when it finally comes out. Yeah, I want to f- go in right. Right. Good so job. give us some more. What? So Zero Theorem. Cute I still want to know why you don't like it. Yeah, because okay, for Christoph Waltz is a he's a programmer, and so there's like a wacky future thing oh, where he God, right, yeah. work and it's management, and uh, his boss is uh, that weird guy with the mustache. And then there's a there's a millennial kid who keeps hassling him, and they become uh, unlikely friends or something. And he's trying to he's trying to prove that everything equals nothing. That's his job. But he wants to work from home, and they keep feeling his head. They have a doctor feel his head, and it keeps making these uh, moist squelching noises whenever they touch his skull. Did you accidentally watch a David Cronenberg movie? <laughs> you didn't see it, did you? You watched part of it and fell asleep. I didn't. <laughs> you, did a, you did a 300 uh, – Something of an empire. None of this sounds familiar. I just remember watching it and Christoph Waltz being weird, and it had a yeah. freaky set where he worked in yeah. his computer, yeah. and it didn't What's seem to make much sense. But I he think seems I just deliberately like, weird in it. He, he seems over-weird. Yeah. Well, it's a Terry Gilliam movie. He's kind of purging his 12... That's the thing. Online, I found people going, "This is in, I think this takes place in the 12 Monkeys universe. I'm like... <laughs> Maybe the Brazil universe if you're really high, but I don't know where you're getting 12 Monkeys universe from. That's that's what drove me to it. I go, wait, this is uh, like split to Unbreakable. This will be the split of 12 Monkeys. But it really wasn't at all. But it was still cool. Why don't you like it again? <laughs> I, I honestly, it just, I, I remember pro- seeing it and I remember not really caring for it or it didn't work for me or, or it, I, I don't even remember that much about it, to be perfectly honest, Kelly Wan, so maybe I should check it out again. But I just remember dismissing it after seeing it and thinking, oh, this is Terry Gilliam. Oh, so sad. It, and, no, I was thinking, oh, it's Terry Gilliam's Barton Fink pastiche. That's wow. what I was thinking. All right. So Dingus, maybe you, I'm dumb. So you haven't seen Zero Theorem, Dingus, is that correct? I have, but it didn't really register for me Oh, either. see? That's see, weird. Kelly Wan, how could both It was like Madeline Stowe for Dingus. He bit, yeah, didn't I, even I already, I already yeah. said that. Oh, which, by the way, I watched Bad Girls and Revenge this week. Whoa! <laughs> Wait, whoa! Are those? I haven't are, actually seen Bad Girls. I want to hear everything. Oh, uh, it's it's unwatchable. Bad, I couldn't actually. I say I watched yeah, Bad Girls. I, I couldn't get through it. it. I, 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 bailed I watched on it. Bad Girls back when you could rent it on VHS, and and I could barely see it. Yeah, it does not. It doesn't. I don't think it ever held up. But it's it's just wretched. It's made for TV it's level. Younger. Schmaltz and it, all, none of the actresses are doing the same thing, and I cannot abide Andy McDowell in it. Uh, I'm watching it thinking, oh, she's like horrible. Cute? She's so terrible. And there's some cute, vivacious blonde in it. And partway through, I'm Mary like, oh Stewart my god, that's Masterson. nope, nope. Guess again. I'm like, Very oh water. my god, that's Drew Barrymore. <laughs> oh, <laughs> that's the one you didn't recognize? Well, I, I didn't. I mean, I've seen her recently in that Santa Clarita Diet thing, and uh, <laughs> I can't get into that. 
I can't either. But she just she she still looked like sort of the like the little girl in ET more than the the chick in Charlie's Angels. How old was she? I mean, how old did she appear? I don't remember. Young enough to where I didn't identify her with the Drew Barrymore I've seen more recently. Okay. Immediately. I'm only felt vaguely creepy. But the uh, the Mary uh, Mary Stewart, the uh, uh, Madeline Stowe character was supposed to be like super. She's like the Clint Eastwood in the movie. She was so bad. Yeah, I mean, she makes me want to watch it more as usual. The, there's a scene where they're all skinny dipping and uh-huh. somebody's uh-huh. spying on them. Oh no, there's someone spying, and she just marches out. And this, the movie is so Thank like it's not it's so PG. Uh, it doesn't show anything. It's just from the back and her shoulders, and she just marches out totally naked and pulls her gun out of a, out of the the tree where her clothes are hanging and then marches up on um uh not dermot mulroney the other one dylan mcdermott no it is dermot mulroney uh and then marches up on dermot mulroney who's like a bounty dylan hunter dermot mulroney. yeah <laughs> and she she's like holding the gun on him and doing tough cowboy talk while she's completely naked um but you don't see anything of course no you don't see anything it's just about her toughness. is it as hot as casey affleck in a bathtub in uh assassination of jesse saying? james Ah, right. For a little guy, you got a big pecker, as, as Paul Schneider tells him. Right. Yeah. <laughs> Puts the ass back in assassination. But uh, in Revenge, and I remembered seeing Revenge, by the way, oh, as yeah. I'm watching it. Super well, she, well she's, she, I mean, she is in, in Bad Girls as well. But in Revenge, uh, it, so it's so Tony Scott and the quick cuts and the love I scenes. And, <laughs> I didn't say it was such, good. No, no, I know, I know. But the thing that I remembered as I was watching it, is what what I remember taking – like when I saw it when it first came out, it's such a terrible name because he doesn't get revenge. Right. Like he doesn't kill Anthony Quinn at the end, which is really stupid. Yeah. I mean what, I was expecting there would be like a showdown or a bloodbath, and it's like an ironic title. It's Maybe so it's dumb. Quinn's revenge. Is to not her. get himself killed. Right. I guess. But I don't know. Remember in that movie Class with Rob Lowe, and he has sex with – or no uh, – Andrew McCarthy is the roommate, and Andrew McCarthy has sex with Rob Lowe's mom, and then she drops out of the movie, and the rest of the movie is just about their friendship recovering from him. I mean, so it's like it's purely – it's a total Bechtel fail. And so it sounds like that. <laughs> it's like, uh, okay, well, I mean – We don't I'm, care about the chick. Let's make up. Like, okay. Right, right. Well, that's cool, the whole thing right, with, with, with revenge is that Madeline Stowe gets drugged and thrown into a, a, a whorehouse and then a convent – and so she's out for the rest of the movie, and when she finally gets rescued, she dies in Kevin Costner's arms, and her last words are her declaring that she loves him. And then, and then he gets to like cry and look really sad and forlorn. It's all that about him. That should be called Revenge. I know. It's a terrible title. It's a, yeah. Uh, and she also <laughs> yeah, part of the – she's supposed to be a Mexican, so she does an accent sometimes and not other times. And <laughs> uh, I kind of like the sound of that. Stuff. So it should it, be it, called it, yeah. the, the Mexican Patient. Uh, the 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 part sometime Mexican patient, right? Yeah, but uh, anyway, so that was my that was the fallout for me from Twelve Monkeys is watching bad Madeline Stowe movies. Kelly Wand, you went to watch Zero Theorem. Trump would want the wall if she's what Mexicans look like to him, right? Mm, he'd call her a fat pig. What did he say to that Miss America, that that poor woman who? Uh, you like your candy? He said that to his employee. Good lord. All right, let's talk about movies instead of Donald Trump, Kelly Wand. Revenge. <laughs> and bad girls. But the, the Jeep scene's all right, all right? It's kind of no, a. Uh, no. it, it's funny. As, as I was watching, I was like, oh, like yeah, fear. Kelly Wand was. Talking. It, well, uh, it, it wishes it was like fear. It's like fear in the 1980s slash 90s, a la a music video 
pretty – and it's also funny. Like, Well, she, there is Madeline Stowe nudity. I was going to say like a lot of the nudity right. could be body doubles, but there are definitely times uh, when – no, it's, that's Madeline uh, Stowe. I think it's her. Well, just you because go to of the war cutting. with the Stowe you have. Yeah. But yeah. she plays a sex pot, and right. she no, usually no, no, right. doesn't. Yeah. I guess bad girls, she's supposed to be a sex pot. Yeah, in as much as Clint Eastwood is sexy in his movies, she's like supposed to be sexy in, in Bad Girls. Yeah. No, no, I actually don't know any women that find Clint Eastwood sexy, but he's old now, so maybe back in the day. He's old and conservative, which is that's two strikes. Right Isn't now. sexy. Yeah. yeah, but do like evangelical grandmas like him? Probably. Like, oh, woo, woo! A lot of cheers. <laughs> a lot of cheers find him sexy. Uh. Yeah, we ta- he talks to them. He communicates to them. Right. He knows what chairs them. want. Yeah. yeah. He tells them to make he his knows day. What chairs want. He knows what chairs need. <laughs> the chair whisperer. And 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 yeah. All right. So, so revenge. Revenge. Don't. I don't recommend it. There's not Bad even that girl. much good. There's some fun early Madeline Stowe, but she gets refrigerated pretty quickly, and it's all about. Uh, <laughs> it's all about. You know who shows up though, and who's a lot of fun? Uh, Miguel Ferrer. He's oh, like his, uh, his yeah, super yeah, badass yeah. Mexican assistant. And Miguel Ferrer has, you know, how Quint has his little sidekick in the in the orange cap, in the orange vest who never talks. Yeah. Miguel Miguel Ferrer's character has that in Revenge, and the guy's face looks so familiar. And I'm watching it, and at a certain point, it's like, yeah, it looks like that guy. No, it's not that guy. But at a certain point, you realize, oh yeah, he doesn't really have any lines. But that's John Leguizamo. Uh, so Miguel Ferrer's always introduced. Oh my god, <laughs> really? And you know, it's an early Tony Scott movie, Dingus, and that's these guys getting work. And Miguel Ferrer gets a, he gets a lot of cool stuff to do, but John Leguizamo pretty much has no lines and is just there to to be a Mexican sidekick. Uh, yeah, I forgot about Imposter. That was another Madeline Stowe bummer science fiction movie hold on let me make a note here imposter all right good but it's gary sinise and it's later and uh, i don't know you probably won't watch it for the same reasons all right you'll know, watch right. it for the plot tom trying to i also out. do you Go have ahead, a favorite uh, john leguizamo performance me or kelly wand you Mario oh. brothers unfortunately i do recently but it's tv Oh, what, that's okay. Well, you don't have to apologize for that. He's really good, Sorry, and he's dude. he's not doing his normal. Like John Leguizamo actually has a fair amount of range. He can be like the badass, or he can be the schlub, or but he's super schlubby, uh, kind of. Uh, he plays a, a sympathetic FBI agent in uh, Waco to to David Koresh. There's a, a six part miniseries called Waco. By the way, Taylor Kitsch is so amazing. I also watched this week. Jesus, uh, Battleship. You're, you're making us want to watch this more and more, you creep. No, I, I watched Battleship so... and John Carter this week just because it, I'm, 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 I'm so I'm, – and, and I didn't have to watch Someone Long Survivor. Someone from home. I am so gay for Taylor Kitsch right now. You guys don't understand. After um, Battleship and John Carter? No, no, after been? Waco, this miniseries yeah. uh, that these guys named Eric Dowdle and uh, – I think Eric and Trey Dowdle. They're brothers who've done horror movies. They did the actually pretty good American sequel – to wreck called a quarantine they did it's basically a, a zombie right. movie in an airplane in an airport and they did that and it's uh and, and then they did something about anyway they, they've done horror movies and somehow they managed to 
do t- they, they option two books about the Waco siege and make it into a six-part miniseries with Michael Shannon as an FBI negotiator, and he's awesome. But more importantly, Taylor Kitsch as David Koresh is is just mesmerizing. I, it, it makes me think because because the whole thing with, with cults and cultists, you know, like John Hawks and Martha Marcy May Marlene, is if you really want to show a cult. Uh, and what makes it effective and what makes it work. You don't have some guy being crazy like Charles Manson. You show how someone is magnetic and winsome, right. charismatic. Uh, and it's like John Hawks and Martha Marcy May Marlene. But, you know, what Taylor Kitsch does with the appeal of David Koresh in this Waco miniseries is just astonishing. And it made me think of when I was a kid going to these church summer camps uh, and mm. being really smitten. By, by, by people who were just magnetic and charismatic and friendly and just really seemed to have it together and assuming that it was their Christianity that gave them that and sort of falling in love with the religion through these people. Uh, and David Koresh, uh, well, David Koresh, Taylor Kitsch's David Koresh in this miniseries is such a great manifestation of that. Uh, is he just plays a guy who is magnetic and who knows how to communicate to people and to make eye contact and to just be present with them while they talk. And through this, he creates this portrait of a cult leader. Uh, and it just I, that's why I went back to watch Battleship and uh, John Carter is was there any inkling that, ta- that Taylor Kitsch could do this in those movies? And there he is not cults in both those movies, though, too. No, but he just seems like another play, like Sam Worthington placeholder. Yeah, exactly, exactly. And, and that's because that's yeah. all those movies give him to do. It's weird watching that after you know being completely won over by him in in uh, Waco. It's weird watching those movies. And in a weird way, I'm I'm kind of, like Battleship was so bad. We all know how bad it was. I'm watching Battleship and realizing. Oh my god, I'm having fun because I like Taylor Kitsch so much. <laughs> it's, <laughs> it's, I remember enjoying watching it, to be honest, because it was stupid fun. Oh, yeah. I, I hated it so much because I just Peter Berg talked about making that movie, and he's like, I just went out and I rented a sailing boat, and I just went out and I just sat out on the boat and <laughs> thought about things that I was going to do. Yep, exactly. Yeah. That, that pretty much shows. Yeah. Well, what else are you going to do? It's Battleship. And then there's yeah. that whole burrito thing and the <laughs> Yep, chicken yep. burrito. <laughs> Very good, Dingus. Right. Yeah, he gets electric. He gets tasered by the aliens and the cops. And who's the scar? Yeah. Who's the Skarsgård? Who's it's uh, Alexander? Alexander Skarsgård is the brother who dies. So who just gets this Taylor Kitsch can be ennobled. Yeah, Brooklyn Decker. <laughs> but well, does yeah, Taylor Kitsch? Do you, do you get anything off of him in that? Is there no, no. For, for me, for uh, for me, for Taylor Kitsch, it was uh, Lone Survivor. And thinking, who's this guy? He's really good. Oh yeah, he's that that kid. And I did. I never saw Friday Night Lights, by the way, which this is kind of new to me. Yeah. Is that Taylor Kitsch came up through that TV series? Um, but uh, it's Lone Survivor that really gives you an inkling. No, this guy's pretty good. He's not just a Sam Worthington placeholder. But really, it's it's this horrible second season of True Detective, where you're like, whoa, this guy can really act. Uh, uh, where he plays a conflicted uh, uh, homosexual uh, policeman. Um, who kind of has this self-loathing about his sexuality, and he's really good in that season of True Detective. But it's it's I, I just after seeing Waco, I don't think you can look at him the same way. He got uh, Rachel McAdams out of that. I'm really happy to hear this because I, I think he's saddled with an unfortunate. Uh, 
from my point of view. Last name. Last name, yeah. <laughs> I mean, I guess there's no way around that. I mean, this is coming from somebody whose last name is difficult to pronounce. At least um, it's not Lutz. Yeah. So, <laughs> <laughs> sorry. Fair enough. So I'm really, I'm really kind of excited to see Waco now. I mean, you've been touting this for a while, but. Well, I also I, I find Waco kind of offensive. Just the the, the production of it and the, the script oh. and how it. Oh no, it completely whitewashes what a, an insane, abusive asshole and actually murderer Koresh was. Uh, which uh, I don't, I don't blame that. Really? Taylor Kitsch's performance is still fascinating, but it's not a movie about David Koresh murdering 76 people, 24 of whom were, were, were children, uh, which is what happened in the Waco siege. It's a movie because it's based on uh, the memoirs from one of the survivors, one of the cult members, and the memoirs of oh. an FBI guy who was basically removed from negotiations for some reason. It, these are its two pieces of source material. So it wants to portray the FBI as uh, inept or, or basically they, uh, culpable for the deaths, which they're not. It's, it's, it's a, a complete retconning of what actually happened, of every inquiry after the fact. Uh, the, the, the Branch Davidians spread gasoline around the compound, and they right. burned themselves to death. And this, this movie, this is a movie about a misunderstood Christian who just wants to practice his own belief, who is murdered and his followers are murdered by an inept, if not malicious, FBI. And it's offensive. Really? Yeah, so yeah. It's, it's not horrible. about a guy who abuses little girls and. Nope. Yeah. Nope. Because they, they make it very clear that, uh, and this is, again, whitewashing, that uh, he married a woman who was 14, which was legal age in Texas. There's nothing about uh, uh, abuse more. in it. it. It it represents accusations of abuse as lies. And furthermore, it even shows him, because one of the issues is he had this, you know, cult leaders do this. He decided only he could have sex with the women. And couples would show right. up to be members of Branch Davidians, and he would say, okay, you your your wife is now mine. I get her. She's I dibs yeah. uh, so that the guy was, you know, he was a horn dog as well. And in the move in the movie, in the miniseries, there's a point where he's having sex with one of his wives and he has to stop himself because he's enjoying it too much. And he thinks that because that that's the, that's what he tells the men is that I want you to be free and clear and devoted sex. to God and to not be distracted by sex. So therefore, <laughs> you can't have sex with your wife. Now, I'm going to have sex with your wife because we need to procreate. Yeah. But I'm doing it for God. I'm doing, it. and so there's a scene where he's My having sacrifice. sex, and he stops himself. He's like, "Nope, I'm enjoying it too much. I have to, I have to not do it." Oh, and so boy. it's, yeah, the, the series is offensive as a whitewashing of, of what actually happened, but. It's still Michael Shannon's really good. John Leguizamo is really good as an undercover agent who's supposed to keep an eye on them and ends up being sympathetic to them. Uh, and, of course, Taylor Kitsch, just absolutely fascinating. So. so would you put this in the same folder of whitewashing that you – you said something similar about Itania. Oh, oh. Yeah, well, I think they're similar in that you're looking. If you you have to consider what's the main source material and would it be sympathetic to a certain perspective, and is that perspective does it not hold up historically? So yes, yeah, similarly. But I didn't find I like I Tanya didn't involve the murder of 24 children. Well, yeah, right. Uh, right. So so thing is, it's the enjoy same, it. It's the same kind of approach, but it's a different scale and it's right. a different. Uh, it, it's more of a peccadillo as opposed to. Uh, Waco being just a, a, a moral wrong to, to cover up, to, to present the story uh, so inaccurately, I, I okay. think, and to blame the wrong people. I remember, a, a count, go ahead. Sorry. 
Well, just I remember thinking at the time everyone was mad at Janet Reno, but I'm like, what do you think was going to happen if you take a, if you take out the FBI and right. compound? What were you going to say? Oh, just as far as uh, – well, you know, I, I was just going to go off on a tangent. Uh, there's no need to. No, no. I, I, wanted, I wanted to hear what you wanted yeah, to hear. Yeah, I wanted to hear the Because your, 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 your use of the word whitewash is uh, is really interesting to me uh, because it really bothers me to think about Waco portrayed in that way because um, there's a reason that went down the way it did. and. It had to go down the way it did. Right. As, as Kelly says, how, not, what did you think was going to happen, people? Come on. Right. Uh, and so then it made me immediately – my mind leap to how you felt about Itania, which I still haven't seen yet, sadly. Oh. Didn't Allison Janney win something? She's uh, so good at it. I still – like I said, I like – as a movie, it's it's great. Did she win the Academy Have we even yeah. had the Academy Awards yet? I always – I never pay attention. She yeah, we won. did have them, right, and she won. Right, right. Yeah. yeah. So that, that again, that's a movie that I, I don't think it's as good as Waco. Like I, I think Waco, just quality-wise, the way the Dowdle brothers shoot it and on, on, on basically uh, ratchet up the tension and the performances in it, it's well worth watching. But I, I just hate the fact, especially, by the way, at this point in our history where the FBI is one of the few <laughs> remaining guardians of, of, yeah. Yeah, of our, our norms of government, like the FBI – this is a terrible time to be painting the FBI as inept or evil. Uh, just – the timing is just so unfortunate uh, that it, it, I, it made it just all the more uncomfortable. Um, but as, as a movie – I say movie. As a, yeah, you know what? You, can, as you a, call it a movie. Go ahead. I mean yeah, I, a, I think that the, those – I honestly think those barriers should start to be falling. I'm with you, Dingus. Yeah, exactly. As a six-hour movie, uh, Waco is, is, is very well done. As a script for a movie, it's borderline offensive, and its timing couldn't be worse. Well, so. you know, I, I really I, – I'm glad you said that because it, it's interesting to me to hear I – mean, and you're – I mean because you're a smart dude, you can look at this is offensive to me because I don't, I don't agree with the way you're dealing with the subject matter, but the way the movie is shot – and the way the movie is acted and written are high quality. I just don't agree with the message or right. or, or the way it's dealt with. And, and that, that's part of my uh, thing about not – like I think you can divorce a movie from its source material and still appreciate it in a way. Yeah. Like I don't hate Waco because I object to what it does with the source material. Uh, I, I, I enjoyed Waco a lot, and I was disappointed with how it turned out, mm. uh, and I would hate to – I. I I would hate for certain people to see it. I would hate for it to influence people. I guess that's what I want yeah. to say. Well, how do you do that? I mean, how do you? I mean, how do yeah. you recommend it? I mean, you have to know who you're recommending things to. I mean, that's difficult to do when you're right. doing a show. But exactly, it, right? You yeah. just say it's all horse shit, but it's really well acted. So watch. Right. There you go, Kelly Wan. It's Kelly Wan. <laughs> all right, Kelly Wan. That's the because I was plot. even. Yeah, I mean, I I was liking American Made, but so I'm like, I don't believe a word of this, but I kind of like his character. <laughs> right, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Fun to that's watch. another good comparison too, Kelly. One is you look at the source material. You know, who right. whose story is being told here? What's the perspective? And should you take it with a grain of salt? Yeah, right. right and I right. tell you, so it's a fictional universe, but how are these as characters? Yeah, and like the fat guy in Itania is a great character. <laughs> right, he's pretty funny. <laughs> yeah. yeah. All right, uh, I've talked way too much, so Dingus, you go next before I talk about what I saw this week. All right, so I'm very excited about the. Oh, that, that was I, it. 
the, the quote I the You quote got I, me started on Taylor Kitsch because Dingus asked me what my favorite John Leguizamo was, and that was going back to your – I thought it was Revenge, and, and uh, I thought it was the Battle of Stowe stuff. It Sorry, can my, be those, but I have a movie I really want to tell you guys about. My favorite John Leguizamo movie of late oh, is, yeah. John, is John Wick. Let's just say that. I love him in John Wick. Man, I I just, he was the, the car, the auto dealer, the, he's the like car auto dude. Shop owner? He punches the, the he punches uh, the Russian. Uh, oh, they're trying to intimidate him, right? Right. right. Yeah. Uh, and he sits down with him. I mean, he just he just has a couple of short scenes, and he's just so quick and clean, and he's just right on point. I love yeah. John Leguizamo. Well, it's so funny watching him play someone who is. Who's kind of like me, smitten by Taylor Kitsch's David Koresh. Like he's right. in a way the perspective of the audience. Is you come mm. into this thinking, oh, it's a movie about a cultist who's terrible, and then you're watching it and you're like, oh, I, I kind of like this guy. Yep. John Leguizamo is an FBI agent who's supposed to spy on him and then go undercover, and he's kind of like, well, the, I kind of like this guy. It's really cute in that he's kind of your perspective in Waco. Yep. Yeah. Yeah, that's, I really love him in John Wick. I like right, him so, in Precinct 13. So the quote I, I pulled from this particular movie that I watched this week uh, uh, relates to what Kelly was talking about in his movie. Uh, this makes me very happy. Uh, here's the quote. I'm eating, man. Don't talk about fucking monkeys. Did wolves raise you? I feel like I've seen this. Uh, I know you have. It was on your list last year. I don't like people talking about monkeys either. By the way, I don't like I don't I don't like talking. Don't talk about fucking monkeys. Did wolves? Oh oh you? oh! Did you finally see Raw, Dingus? Yeah, I watched Raw this week. Uh, finally! Oh my god, it took you long enough. I freaking love this movie. Yeah. Now, did I try to get you to see it by saying it's not for you, or I think yeah. I told you to see it? Yeah, you did, both. You did that. You both did that. I, I really love this movie. It's the weirdest coming-of-age movie I've ever seen. Yeah, it is. It is. That's good description. Uh, I'm crazy about this movie. I, I I love the way it's shot. I love the music in it. I love the way the music works in it. Yep. Um, I love the weird, uh, the weird way it's edited, the weird family dynamics in it, and and the way the movie shakes out. Uh, I think Raw. And I totally understand. I don't know where it ended up on your list, Tom. Um, it's on my list too, fool. Oh, sorry, boo. <laughs> uh, but I, I just, ah, man, I totally get why it did because it it hits the exact same place that Martyrs hit for me. Yeah, and maybe that's an easy, Those an French. easy link to make because they're both French and they're both a little horror-y, but with other like like all these other things that are both going on in the movie. Girls. There's so many other things that are going on in the movie. You know, like humans as animals and all these things that are going on, but mainly I, for me it's just kind of a like moving into your adulthood kind of a mm-hmm. movie. Uh, yeah, I was really nuts about this movie. Uh, it's really hard to watch. It's <laughs> That's what I was going to ask is what, uh, like there were and why I would yes, say it's sure. not for certain people is it, yeah. So what? There were parts that were hard for you to watch, but because uh, I, I feel like they're kind of powerful though. The parts that are hard to watch. Yeah. Well, they are, but I mean, but they're they're hard to watch. And I know you hate this word, but they're they're viscerally hard to watch. And, and what sure. I mean by visceral is that uh-huh. I, I literally I, there's there's only a couple of movies that made me want to actually not want to, but feel like I'm about to throw up. Um, 
And yeah. <laughs> one of the one of those moments is when she's at the toilet pulling hair out of her mouth. That, by the way, I was going to say, like, it, people know Raw's about cannibalism, so I think that's okay to say. But what really got me was the hair stuff. The hair. Yeah, that was just horrible. That and it just went on and on, yeah. and on and on and on. And and what what I loved that was that you guys, I don't know which one of you, I think it must have been Tom who brought up uh, – uh, Marcy, Martha, Marlene. Oh my God, um, Dingus, you can do better than that. Try again. I can't. Um, because Martha, Mar- uh, Dingus, Marcy, I don't become Kelly Wan. Kelly Wan, let's hear you do it. Martha, Marcy, and Marlene. Kelly Wan, Dingus, look, if Kelly Wan can do it, <laughs> try again. The because, third one's the hard one. Because Grasma Marie uh really reminded me a lot of times. <laughs> just say Rose Byrne. Grant, did you know? <laughs> Really reminded me of a little What a Olsen. nerd. She, she reminded me of Elizabeth oh, Olsen Elizabeth a lot okay. of times. Yeah, um, and so that. that's why I'm glad you guys brought up. But I, I just, I really loved her in this. Uh, I loved, I, I think all the actors are really great in it. Um, and it's just got such a, it's, it's beautiful. The music is beautiful, and there's this great weird, opening, great ending. Yeah, the opening is so weird. Yeah, and and it and it. It does that perfect thing. It hits that perfect spot for me in movies where um, it's that WTF spot for me. You're like, what uh-huh. is going on here? I don't quite know what's going on here, but I'll I'll go with you. I'll go with you for this. Um, and I really, I really, really love that thing about this movie. Um, and there's all this, also this weird. Um, I don't know if you remember this. Um, there's this weird. Acoustic guitar moment in the movie. I don't know. There's this weird moment where the where the music switches from acoustic to other guitar uh, to like, and it might have been in the club scene, maybe where they transition over into the club scene. Anyway, I just love I love the way that the music works in this movie because it really supports the movie really well. Yeah. Uh, uh, but yeah, this is a great movie, uh, and I'm I I'm really uh, there, there's there's at least two movies now, and this is always a weird thing. Uh, there's at least two movies now that I didn't see before I made my list last year. This is one of them. The other would be Phantom Thread uh, that I wish I would have seen before I saw my before I made my list. But I'm not, it, you always have to think about well, what would I kick off my list? Uh, and I don't know that I could kick two movies off my list. Nevertheless. Uh, Raw and Phantom Thread are both movies that I think could easily wind up on a top ten list. But you know, I had I had at least twenty four, twenty five, twenty six movies now since I've seen these two movies that would have wound up on there before Shape of Water, uh, just to say because that won Best Picture. But uh, yeah, yeah, I I totally loved Raw. I loved it. Not for you, Dingus. It's yeah. not for me. <laughs> not his a, tempo. What a weird movie, and 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 I and I honestly think it's as as much as it made me want to like not want to. I, want is the wrong word. It made me almost like hurl at certain points. It's still the movie I want to see again to figure out more of what it means because yeah. I think yeah. there's so many layers to it, and that's what's beautiful about it. It's just a beautiful movie in so many ways. And they don't even let you know that it, it's a vet college and, until a certain point. Right. And, you, and you're kind of suspecting that. And, you know, with the horse thing, the horse things are beautiful. Yeah. 
I mean, oh man, it's a beautiful, beautiful movie. You guys, you were so right to put it on your list. So uh, it does so a second. A second viewing, uh, because of, you know, Raw goes through a couple of stages and has a few very important reveals. Uh, and a second viewing after you know those reveals, looking at how Julia Ducourneau, the, the writer and director, how she plays with that information and shows you things that you don't quite realize what you're looking at, uh, it, it definitely pays off to see it a second time uh, without having already discovered the stuff that you discover the first time you see it. Mm -hmm. uh, so, yeah, I would recommend a second viewing. Well, just just looking at what Quickie the dog is doing and then what happens to Quickie the dog, <laughs> I mean, what the hell? <laughs> right. Well, somebody had to take the fall, Dingus. <laughs> well, well I'm, I'm sitting there, and one of my notes as I'm watching is that this, this fucking dog, what are you doing, this fucking dog? And then what happens to the dog, and I feel terrible. And then they have the, the them like climbing over stuff and acting like animals. Oh, oh man, it's just ah, there's so much there. Well done, yeah. guys. You guys, you guys win. Well, uh, the movie wins. Yeah, wins. we have to give the movie we credit. Discovered it. Yeah. yeah, and also you know, veterinarian schools in France seem like really uh, trippy places to yeah. have a college education. Man. Even my, the parties. My, right. Exactly. Like my liberal arts education was nothing like that. What the heck? Should have gone I'll into look, a vocation like that. Those French movies, the way they just take right turns in the middle of the scene that you, is already weird. Like the, the fingers. <laughs> Kelly Wan, people, we, some people haven't seen it. Watch. The they won't know what they won't remember. I, that. Right, right. I that's just right. have to tell you that uh, that a, a less brave director would not have had the sister wake up, uh, and that the sister right. woke up. Made me so happy and so creeped out. I loved that moment. Well, it's also it's a, up. yeah, and it's an important connection between them. And yeah. I, I think that ultimately is the point of the movie. It's it's yeah. about two sisters. Mm. Uh, and you don't, you know, this is again something that isn't clear the first time you watch it. It's part of what emerges. But when you watch it a second time with an eye towards their relationship and who knows what about whom when, uh, there's just some really beautiful stuff between them. I think I mentioned this on the podcast before, but when I saw it. Uh, the director, she came out and did a, a Q&A, and one of the things she said during the Q&A uh, is in working with uh, Garance Marillier and Ella Rumpf, the, the two girls who play the sisters, is she told Ella, the older actress, to treat the younger actresses, the younger actress as if that girl's body, the younger girl's body, was just an extension of herself to do whatever she wanted with. Oh, I forgot uh, that you said that. Which is just a great little bit of physicality between them. Uh, it's just like, you know, just pretend it's like an extension of your arm or something. <laughs> well, there's that uh, weird just, scene with the corpse in, that, that he shows her on his iPhone where he, where she is literally right, right, right. an yep. arm. Yep. Yeah. Exactly. Yep. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Dingus, I'm super glad you mentioned Raw because I wanted Wait, Tom. Really yes, quick. Kelly Wand. Yes. I just want to say we said Martyrs wasn't for Dingus. He proved us wrong. Raw, we said wasn't for Dingus. He proved us wrong. Right. I think we I know should, where you're going. I think we should go for the hat trick and have him watch. Killing him sacred deer. Yeah. It's not for you, Dingus. It's not for you. Don't not watch his it. Tempo. Don't yeah. watch that movie, Dingus. Yeah. Not for you. Not for you but at if all. If you're going to watch it, watch it in the last week of April. Well, and I, tell you about I chose it. to challenge myself for what have you watched this week for this 3x3 three three thing. And so I, I, I dove in on Raw. All right. Well, just remember. Yeah. yeah. Killing the sacred deer. Not for you, Dingus. All right. Not for you, Dingus. Fair enough. <laughs> so I'm glad you mentioned Raw because the movie I want to talk about has a lot in common with Raw. Uh, and I watched it again because 
I watched a stupid movie first. The movie that I was going to talk about <laughs> is called I Kill Giants. And I didn't realize this until partway through when I'm watching it on, you know, it's streaming on Amazon and I'm partway through. I'm like, this movie is really dumb. Let me just check something. So I alt tab over to IMDb. And yep, sure enough, it's based on some doofus's graphic novel. Uh, and it's a it's a story about a, a young girl who uh, it, you, you first see her in the movie just running around and in the forest and doing something like making a potion or setting up traps. And it turns out that she's a giant killer, but it's in modern times. And she's like, uh, I don't know. The actress is probably like 12 or something. Um, <laughs> Best matchup ever. <laughs> and she, uh, she, she uh, is a, is a alienated from her classmates and she's a weird nerdy kid. And there's an awesome early scene. And this is where I was like, okay, I can't wait to dig in and watch this movie where her annoying brothers are in the other room playing video games. They're super loud and it's shooters and you're talking about shooting each other and guns and stuff. And she is at the dining room table with a handful of dice trying to basically playing D&D by herself and none of the boys will play with her. And she actually uh, – when she's telling them, could you keep it quiet? I'm trying to play Dungeons and & Dragons. And they're like, shut up. And so she takes her – she walks. She rolls her D20. And it goes in slow motion, and it shows the die land, and then it shows her getting up, walking over, and unplugging the TV. And they're like, hey, what are you doing? And she says, you failed your saving throw against what you would do if there was a power outage. <laughs> That's, and so she's like super sassy and standing up to her brothers. And it's also setting up this idea of video games just feed people's sensory uh, inputs, whereas something like D&D still uses your imagination. So she's this imaginative, creative young girl, and she thinks she's running around in the world killing giants, which it, we've all seen A Monster Calls. This movie is nothing but A Monster Calls, where, uh, oh, the monster's a metaphor for some trauma, and it's helping her deal with it, and she's creative and imaginative. And, oh, here's an understanding uh, adult who she's going to talk to. And, oh, we're going to spell it all out super obviously in the end. And, oh, this is – you know, here's the the story of a young girl coming of age, and she slays monsters. Metaphor. Like this is the American version of Raw. Uh, so here's what made me, uh, what it made me watch. Uh, there's a Norwegian movie, and I watched this again, and I so am taken with this movie. There's a Norwegian movie called Thelma, and unfortunately, it has it's one of those names where you don't you're never going to remember it, and you have no idea what it's about from the title. Um, but Thelma – so if I Kill Giants is a super glib American comic book movie about a young woman coming to terms with her insecurity and her doubt and her fears, Thelma is a really dark Norwegian – it's not coming of age, but the way it plays with whether or not things are supernatural uh, – the, the way it plays with this idea of are, are these metaphors, is this real, uh, it, it's directed by a guy who's related to Lars von Trier, by the way, and it shows because they're weird things. Thelma doesn't – you're watching Thelma for about an hour before you realize what it's doing. It's a two-hour movie, but you don't appreciate what it's doing for about an hour, which is – it's kind of a slow burn. But once it hits that hour and you see what – his name is Joachim Trier. You see what he's doing, uh, it – like – it, it's, it's, it's riveting, um, and part of what makes Thelma work, uh, and Thelma is very much like Raw in that it's a, it's a woman of that age, 
Uh, it's her dealing with things like uh, her sexuality, her relationship to her family, uh, being alone in the world. Unlike Raw, Thelma has a lot to say, too, about religion because the point of Thelma, the main character's name is Thelma. Uh, what, what Thelma is getting at is she comes from a very Christian background, and now she's in college where that's uh, odd to a lot of her friends, the fact that she doesn't drink or she doesn't do drugs, uh, that she doesn't you know, cuss because she's Christian. That's part of why she is set apart from her classmates. And that's a, a lot of what uh, – it, ostensibly it seems like it's a, it's a movie about a woman whose repressive parents, um, how she gets out from under them. But you know, an hour into the movie, you find out there's something else that this, movie, that this movie is about. But what makes Thelma work and what makes that first hour bearable is there is an amazing young actress named uh, – I don't know if I'm pronouncing this right – Eileen Harbo. Uh, and Thelma is so much about uh, her face and her expressiveness. Because a lot of Thelma is just watching this girl's confusion. It's very much like uh, Garance Marillier in, in Raw. Um, but it doesn't have the benefit of her relating to a sister or, or anything. Most of Thelma early on is just her being a little forlorn and confused and not sure what to do. Uh, she suffers an epileptic fit, uh, which may or may not have something to do with what's going on. Uh, so, so much of it is about this young actress's performance. Uh, and she's amazing in Thelma. Um, so there you go. That's what I saw this week. Uh, it has a lot in common with Raw. It's... Uh, it's uh, got a, an amazing female performance. Dingus, did, did you see Louder Than Bombs? I did not that, know. Okay. It's the, it's the director that did that, and I never heard anything good about it. Uh, it's a Jesse Eisenberg movie from a couple years ago that I think had something to do with 9-11. Um, but anyway, his name is uh, Joaquim Trier. The actress's name is Eile Harbo, uh, and it's well, Norwegian. Lars von Trier just added the Vaughn in there. It's not part of it. Ah, that makes sense. All right. He's, well, he's uh, Joaquin, there. Yeah. Joaquin Trier is uh, – he's definitely Danish, but uh, he – I don't know if he moved there. This is a Norwegian film. It's Norwegian language. Uh, the actors – it's set in Norway. Uh, so it's you know like the snowman in that regard. So is it spelled uh, Thelma like Thelma and Louise Thelma? Yep, yep. Just straight up or Thelma. Or Thelma like Scooby-Doo Thelma. No, not Velma. It's not, not her. Not, yeah, not the so, super hot glasses chick. It seems to be that, that Thelma and Ra both – the way you were talking about Thelma actually makes me really excited to watch it because it sounds like Ra – and I didn't make this connection until you were talking about Thelma. Ra and Thelma both have – Something in common with my favorite movie from last year, that being Lady Bird. Bird. Yeah, yeah, sure. Well, they—they, they, I mean, they're exploring the same territory, but they're using the supernatural or the grotesque or the the right. the, the, the. They're using some sort of exaggerated grotesque metaphor um, to explore the same thing as Lady Bird. So, absolutely, Dingus, absolutely. And and the, as far as those performances, like Saoirse Ronan in in Lady Bird, uh, it's. It, you know, you you need a powerful young actress to anchor a movie like that, and I think all three of those movies manage that very successfully. Yeah. Also, and, and I noticed this. Uh, if you, do you ever watch a movie like a second time and realize that you remember the music as you're hearing it? Like, I don't know if that's a weird thing, but okay. Yeah. So rewatching Thelma, I was like, oh yeah, like I know where this melody is going. I love this score. There's a really beautiful kind of Carter Burwell esque. Uh, uh, melody in the, in the music in, in Thelma, which I really liked a lot. Um, yeah. So that, there you go. That definitely happened to me this week because I, I watched a, I rewatched a couple I watched a couple of 
movies to get ready and over the last couple of weeks to get ready for the auditions through way three. And, and this is music that I'm really, uh, conversant with. <laughs> and, and yeah, I had that same experience. Yeah. All right. Well, Dingus, it sounds like it's going to be bringing up some musicals, but Kelly Wand, why don't you kick us off? Oh, I have one quick question. Yes. Kelly Wand. When the giant killing girl came yes. into the room and unplugged her brother's PlayStation, right? Was she naked like Madeline Stowe and Bad Girls when Madeline Stowe stormed out of the pond and, and, and drew down on on yeah. uh, Dermot Mulroney? Come out uh, naked, go. This is for the saving throw. Kelly wants super inappropriate. She's like a twelve-year-old girl. She's an. That's why I was going to be concerned if he. She, okay, she no, she's not naked. She's actually. She's her name is Madison Wolf, and she's actually. <laughs> Just no, Kelly, Kelly Wan, stop it. No, I just said. <laughs> JK, JK. Uh, she was just in an uh, – oh, shoot. Was it Oculus or – what was the sequel to the movie where Vera Farmiga and Patrick Wilson are that dopey couple that investigates uh, – Conjuring. In, insipid. Oh. Yes. <laughs> no, Dingus, not what's the description of it. What's the name of it? <laughs> That's a good name for a horror movie. Uh, Conjuring 2 – uh, uh, Madison Wolf is the lead actress in that, and she's fine in that. She has to play the girl who's possessed. Uh, and in I Kill Giants, she's the lead, and she's fine. She's super committed. It's the, the movie has all that because again, it's a graphic novel. It's got all this like adult precocious dialogue that it's having a child speak. Which Giants is just, would be easy to kill first off because you can see them really easily coming. Uh, well, well yeah, if you've seen Empire Strikes Back and uh, yeah, Jedi uh, Civil War. Right. Yeah, you just and that she does actually use uh, like a rope trap like that to trip one of them. Um, but uh, uh, at any rate, this this young actress Madison Wolf, uh, I find she's she's fine. But it's kind of like I felt about Jacob Tremblay in I think The Room is the only thing I've really seen him in, where he's very much like a child actor. I'm very aware that he's a kid mm-hmm. acting, and there's a kind of a precociousness to it. Versus looking at someone like this Elia Harbo woman in, in Thelma and just seeing just this expressiveness and there's something going on behind her, her face. There's like a Haley sort of a Steinfeld. deeper sense to it. Haley Steinfeld is the same way. Yeah. Like edge of 17. Right. Yeah. So, so the funny thing, edge of 17 has a great opening scene where the two girls, it's not Haley Steinfeld and Haley Richardson at this point, they're played by younger actresses. These two little girls are meeting each other about the caterpillar. Right. Yeah. And it's super cute. Imagine that I think is what I Kill Giants is going for, because the young giant killer chick meets another girl uh, who's from out of town, who's also an outcast and who needs to make a friend, and a lot of it is about their relationship. Um, but they're super young like that, and unfortunately, it's a weird thing too, where the girl who plays the sidekick I thought was way better than Madison Wolf, and I would have liked to have seen them switch roles. Yeah. Um, oh, uh, another. Quick, yeah, another quick thing about Thelma. Thelma, I love this in a movie, and uh, you guys are with me on this 110%. One of the really cool things about Christopher Nolan's masterpiece, Interstellar, is how that young little redheaded girl channel, like how she grows up into Jessica Chastain, like how how they seem like they're they're the younger and older versions of themselves. That's just a really Fuck cool thing in, in Interstellar. That there's a young version of Leah Harbo in Thelma. And it is uncanny how much they look alike and their expressions and just the structure of their faces. And Elia Harbo has these beautiful, like, almond cat, like, Haley Steinfeld eyes, and the little girl does too. And in the credits, because the credits are in Norwegian, I didn't know what this meant. I saw that uh, Elia Harbo was listed as something other than a cast member 
like there was some Norwegian word for something that she did, like in editing or hairstyling or something like that. Yeah. So I looked it up to see what else she did in Thelma. She was the assistant director on all the scenes with the little girl. Like they hmm. brought in the actress who's playing the older version of herself to assistant direct this young little girl playing her younger self. Oh, that's uh, sweet. Which, it's really yeah. sweet, and it it I think it showed uh, just in, as far as like how how they really seem to channel each other and look like the same person, like different versions at different ages of the same person. It was really uncanny. That's really so. sweet. I liked that. I wish I could coach my younger self. <laughs> I would tell my younger self so many things not to yeah. do. Oh, my God. Just stay uh, home. How did you guys feel about the video game playing in Raw? Uh, you they even remember it? Faking it. Uh, it's with her and the, the, uh, the, the soccer player guy. And with the sister. Well, the sister is yeah. also doing it later on in this weird sort of situation. I, I mean, I, I hope people will see this movie, so I don't want to give it But I recall they're away. faking it, and they don't know how to use a controller. Was, that, was okay. it one of those things? Yeah, yeah. It's, it's yeah. that sort of like, <laughs> I'm moving a controller around. It seemed a little less weird, but I was wondering <laughs> right. how you guys felt about that. Yeah, it's like watching someone who can't type pretend to type like on a keyboard or something. Yeah, or watching people drive and they're like moving the steering wheel. It's just people who can't type. It's people who can't like who don't understand. Like it's like hacking. It's like yeah, right. Yeah. I'm hacking yeah, right now. Hack off in Fast and Furious between Miss Sande and Charlize. Or Anna Kendrick and up in the air typing with intensity. Oh. <laughs> Or Halle Berry right. helping uh, Hugh Jackman hack. Oh, yeah, and the blowjob lady. Swordfish. I've never seen it. What? Dude. Why would I see Swordfish? I'm busy watching Battleship and uh, John Carter. Uh, well, Dingus just told – it's similar. <laughs> if Taylor Kitsch is in Swordfish, I'll watch it. Halle Berry shows him. I don't care. It's Taylor Kitchen. That's all I want to know. Taylor Kitch is he in it? No. Taylor okay, Kitchen is playing Solo in the in the next uh, Star Wars movie. Tom. Oh, that would be so cool. Did you like his outfit in John Carter, Tom? I bet you did. Lynn Collins' outfit was pretty cool. Kind of Zardozzy. Yeah. Who? Yeah. He's it, he, he's such a like he, he's such a placeholder. They don't give him anything to do. John Carter is so it's like classic Disney. Scrubbed clean of any character. Yeah. Like elaborate production values, no soul whatsoever. Yeah, and I forgot right. too, it's like Mark Strong and Dominic West, mm-hmm. and, uh, yeah. you know, it's Willem Dafoe and Samantha Mortis. Mort- no, shoot. I'm confused by. Everybody's Samantha. miscast. That's Yeah, yeah, it's just horrible. It's just a waste of everybody's talent. That's and- supposed to be the hottest girl, and Deja Thor is supposed to be like a lust object. And then she's like, it's a Disney woman. Right. Yeah. I mean, D- D- Lynn Collins is super hot in it, but it's, you know, it's, it's all she's wearing it. She's naked in the books. Tell Kieran. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Let me get right on that. Uh, all right. I like where, where, did I cut anyone off? Where were we? Where, where should I we go know. to? I think I cut you off. Sorry. Let, no, let's go to audition. So uh, it's this Morton, week's by thing. the way. Samantha Morton. Samantha Morton, right. Mathis is the uh, She's the from, photon milk girl, right? Broken arrow. Right, right. Yes, exactly. Alright, let's talk auditions. Kelly Wan, at the end of this podcast, you're going to be introducing next month's 3 by 3 Oh! You start us off by giving us your third favorite audition in a movie. Sorry, officer. I was pretending that a cop heard me do that. Why would a cop 
not want you to go I, I don't know, on the fourth floor and look at pulled off over, by you. You know, to, to sell the bet and it's uh, <laughs> yeah. I, the only one, I like your I, at least you committed to it the fourth floor window where the cops leading in Tom <laughs> um oh yeah my number three favorite audition is in Men in Black. Uh, I really liked Will Smith's audition. I thought he you was... have to audition to be a Man in Black. <laughs> what are you talking about? Do you remember it? No. How does he, he audition to be a Men in Black? He's there, and he there are all these army guys with him, and they give him little scantrons and pencils, and but they don't have tables, so they're all like writing on their legs, and then Will Smith wants the table and it's across the room so he bends over and like moves it across the floor and it's super loud so, like everyone's oh god kelly Wan, so, when you when you get a driver's license yeah when, when you get a driver's license kelly Wan, do you think that that paperwork you have to fill out to get your driver's license you think that's an audition he calls it an audition <laughs> because uh, Tommy if, Lee Jones does. Because if you fail your driver's license first time they say well let, let's do it again this time do it like somebody who knows how to drive Wait, he's competing with other people in the same room, and then they're all dismissed but for him because he shot the little girl in the shooting contest. That's what? an audition, fools. They have to shoot problem. a little girl in a shooting contest? You know, they go into like a thing and there's like – Do you know what the word audition means? Oh, you guys are dumb. Really? <laughs> this this is actually the sketchiest of the three. The other well, – Wait, I, I, st- I still don't remember what he's talking about. So they have to audition to be – Agents. Yeah, he's up. Yeah, and he's he's competing against all these soldiers. Like they're all like, I was first in my class at West Point, and so Let's he's like, try this. out. That's different. Yeah. Whoa, what? He has to wait. So if you're auditioning guns and tests, and stuff, no. If you, am I if if I'm going out for the basketball team, am I auditioning to be the point guard? Now, see, Dingus, I would think you were because I would. I don't know sports. Yeah. But that's an audition, isn't it? No, it's a tryout. That's a different. But thing. you're auditioning would, to be an entertainer. When you're trying going out for the basketball team, no, aren't you? you're not auditioning. You're you're trying out to be a competitor on a thing, or you're trying out to be a part of the police force. That sounds like a long way of saying audition in a stick. It's not an audition. I mean, we should just this take the word back. Totally different. Oh, you. What's guys. the difference? What's the difference between what I just described, Will Smith doing? Because and what, what Will Smith is doing is not performing. He's not trying yes, he out is. to be a performer. He's doing his guns. He's, he's performing against other people. So, Dingus, the only reason I would give it to Kelly Wand is because I do think, like, if you're trying out for a basketball team, all you're doing is entertaining the basketball watchers, right? No, you're yeah. not. You're you're getting are on the show to actually are... compete with other people. You don't think in an actual it. competition? That's different than being on stage. Well, wait, I, I honestly don't know the question, the answer to this. Are athletes not entertainers? Well, they they. It, it is marketed as entertainment, but they're still in a competition. If you're if you're on a stage if you're on a stage play of Guys and Dolls, you're not competing against anybody else. You're about, entertaining the audience. That's a what different about thing. Kendrick and Pitch Perfect or like, Kelly Wan quit stealing my number three, you jerk. So so <laughs> there is a difference between these two things. I mean, you know, the Cavaliers and the Golden State Warriors are still going to play against each other whether anybody's in the stadium or not. It's just how much they're going to get paid. So, yes, they are entertainers, but that's a different thing. A tryout is different than an audition. Kelly Wand, in support of Dingus's point, there is a different word for what they do in, in athletics. Okay, hey, and- it's not athletics. It's 
he's joining. No, 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 right, right. But I'm saying there's a reason that it's that, there, that the word is tryout and not audition. Now I'm not arresting you, Kelly Wong, because I don't know even know what your pick is on about, and you're kind of beyond the law anyway. Like the law can <laughs> can't touch you. I'm uh, saying the word tryout doesn't apply to what Will Smith's doing, so Dingus is wrong because it's no. not athletics. No, and neither so it does audition. Word. Audition doesn't apply to what you're talking about. Either. Well, it's not okay. It's not a tryout. So then, what is it? It's an application. No. <laughs> wow, he shut you down, Sad. Dingus. Yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, Dingus, give Kelly Wan an example. What's an audition? Give, yeah. Give us your third Clearly. favorite audition. Let's show right. Kelly Wan how it's done. Here's audition a quote from it. for this. Here's a quote yes. from it. I leave you, baby. I leave you, baby. Now leave me alone. So this <laughs> is from the uh, movie The Producers. Ugh. <laughs> Yeah, I knew that was going to happen. That was awesome. You guys. I was hoping it was going to be. Oh wait, are, I'm no, no. I'm thinking of that stupid thing where they're on it. Where Stanley Tucci and Oliver Platter on a boat. No, what, that's I, the imposters. Imposters. All right, I take back my my no. grunt or groan or whatever. Well, you can re, you can uh, reinstate it when I tell you yeah. that the producers was directed by Mel Brooks. Right. Ugh. Yeah, you hate Mel Brooks. Tom. It's the Matthew Brooks Nathan Lane thing, right? No. <sighs> oh. Well, what's Did that you say? Then? Matthew Brooks, Nathan Lane. It's Sorry, Matthew Broderick for one thing. Matthew Broderick, uh, Jesus. Matthew Broderick, Nathan Lane. Thing. No, this That's is Zero no Mostel and and Gene Wilder from 1968. What? Um, yeah. Yeah. It's the original of the producers, and it's uh, this great, ridiculous audition sequence, and it's one of these standard audition sequences, and this is what my uh, my name gag came from because the. Because the guy who uh, actually does the audition that I'm talking about um, says that his friends call him LSD. Uh, and it's uh, auditioning for the part of Hitler in the what is supposed to be the worst stage play of all time. Because, you know, the producers is based on a scam. It's uh, There's really not a show called Springtime for Hitler? Well, there is, but they have to read a ton of plays in order to get there because Gene Wilder is a, an accountant who comes to talk to uh, Bialystok to say, look, your books don't make any sense. You you sold all of these shares in musicals. And then he finally, as he's looking through the books, he, he realizes, you know, it, as it turns out, it wouldn't be that hard if uh, if there were a Broadway flop, you could actually make more money. <laughs> and uh, and there's this great line of like, well, uh, you, you've sold twenty uh, percent to her, twenty percent to her, fifty percent to her, a hundred percent to her, and uh, and Zero Mostel asks, well, how much percent can you sell? And Gene Wilder's character Bloom says, uh, you can only sell, you can only have a hundred percent of anything. Uh, and he's like, well, as long as we pick the the show that flops. We'll be fine. If we don't, then we'll go to jail. So they spend all they spend all night reading all these scripts, and they finally find one um, by uh, by Kenneth Mars' character uh, called Springtime for Hitler, and they're like, "There's no way this will this is this is going to be a total this is this is going to be the worst flop on Broadway. This will this will close." And they get they get the director who whose plays always close like at the first rehearsal. Those are all the jokes, and uh, and so they go through all the auditions for Hitler's, and it's mainly just a bunch of dancers like flopping around on stage and doing Heil Hitler signs, and eventually this guy played by this guy named Dick Chan, uh, who has been in a 
ton of TV shows and a couple of movies here and there, um, wanders on stage. Uh, at the end of the auditions, they haven't found their, their perfect Adolf Hitler yet. And he's like, oh, man, he's he's this total, like, hippie dude. He's like, oh, man, I, th I thought I was going into a different audition. Oh, man. And they're like, no, no, go ahead and do your thing. And he does this long musical number um, uh, with uh, while throwing flowers at them. And, like, he's the guy. So that's my third favorite audition. It's it's, it's Dick Sean with his his backup band of, of three women uh playing this uh playing this song and they're just like he is so bad there is no way this musical can possibly ever ever be a success kelly Wan, that is an audition uh yeah he used <laughs> yeah. it correct uh, i mean, I mean if you're gonna to if, that, i mean uh, if you're gonna use the word audition to mean audition yeah true <laughs> i meant it i meant it more in the protest parade uh pep rally Thing, where that's on one thing. Go ahead. <laughs> Marcy, Marlene. Except Tom didn't give you that wide. Uh, anyway. Well, the thing is, I yeah, have, he always gives me wide. For the yeah. hey, hey, for the runners up, I had something I wanted to mention that's clear. That's more of a tryout along the lines of Kelly Wan's pick. That I, if I didn't have so many other great things to pick, I, I mean, we're all gonna have the same number one, by the way. There's no dispute about that. Yeah. yeah but uh, if I didn't have the same, if I didn't have other great things to pick, I wanted to roll out the bit in Sorcerer where they're trying to figure out who's the best truck driver. Uh, and Roy oh, Scheider. Oh, they're not on stage. Oh. Right. Well, that's, it's a tryout because the guy, because they, they know they're gonna have to transport this unstable dynamite. So the guy puts in the cab a little vial of water, and you're supposed to look at how much the driver shakes up the water. And they're having tryouts or auditions for the different I people at the village to drive the trucks that's to see funny. who can who can drive it without uh, shaking up the water the most. And Roy Scheider. Maybe it's maybe it's one of the other like maybe it's the Pal I think it's the Palestinian actually is he's driving and some kids run in front of the truck but rather than slam on the brakes he just just runs right past him and almost kills the little kids and the driver initially is like whoa whoa are you crazy but then he looks at the water and he realizes oh he you know he is clearly not uh, jerking the truck around because that's what he's been instructed not to do and so he gets the part as one of the truck drivers see that's, that's not an audition that's a tryout. Because Will Smith shoots the little kid because everyone else shoots the aliens, and he's like, look, she wasn't – this little kid cut out wasn't panicking. She was just standing there in the middle. Ah, so, so she's an alien. Right. So it's a disregard for the lives of children that characterizes right. it. And then Rip Torn goes, gentlemen, you've all proven as valuable as a lifetime of military training we would expect. Good night. And he keeps Will Smith. That's Kelly, one, let, me, let me give you another example of an audition, which you've already mentioned. Uh -huh. Although I thought you hadn't seen this movie. In Pitch Perfect, there's a, a, a montage of this song, Since You've Been Gone. And Pitch Perfect is full of like people who can sing well and who are performers. And they're auditioning for the a cappella singers for this year of school, of uh, Pitch Perfect School, whatever it is. And they have a, a montage of all these – some of them are terrible, some of them are good. All of them are going to be the characters who are part of the a cappella group, so we're meeting the different characters, like Rebel Wilson, the Asian woman who talks really little, uh, the super tall sex pot chick. We're meeting all the characters, as well as some who won't be involved, and there's a very spirited, energetic montage of Since You've Been Gone, and it ends with really good singers. And, you know, Brittany Snow and Anna Camp are the two chicks who play the leader of this a cappella group, uh, and they see the audition, 
and we've gone through this whole audition sequence, but the lead character in the movie hasn't showed up yet. This is Anna Kendrick. And so you're thinking after this big, energetic, spirited, skilled singing montage, how is Anna Kendrick going to follow up on that? And she sort of sheepishly comes in late, and she's like, oh, sorry, I didn't prepare anything. I didn't know I was supposed to. And they say, well, that's okay. Just come on out. Just sing something. And you've just saw this super-spirited montage. What is, what is Anna Kendrick going to do a cappella on a stage to follow that up? And she does a cute little thing where she leans down, and there's a cup full of pens, and she says, may I? And she dumps the pens out, and she takes the cup, and she sits down cross-legged on the stage and does this – you know, you, you discover that she's got a beautiful voice when she's singing this song. I think it must be called You're Going to Miss Me When I'm Gone. But it also has this really clever little dexterity trick where she's clapping and turning the cup and tapping it and drumming on the bottom of it. Um, and it's just a whole different kind of like skill and energy and talent than this this super ebullient musical stuff that we had just seen in the previous montage. But it shows, yeah, Anna Kendrick can sing. She's really good. And furthermore, Kelly Wand, is it true you have not seen Pitch Perfect? Uh, I haven't seen that or Fever Pitch. So you would appreciate this. Uh, Anna Kendrick, as, as a young woman, is not uh, super buxom, but she's wearing a kind of a low scoop top. And because she's sitting cross-legged leaning over with this cup, there is just the right amount of cleavage to make her look super sexy. Mm-hmm. So, Kelly Wan, that's that's for you. That, so you're trying to get me to see the movie? That's mm, not for you. Can Actually, I if we tell it? Kelly Wand it's yeah. not for him, he won't watch it. But does does the uh, shower scene happen before or after that? I forget. Uh, after I think it's when she's already on the team because I think she's just. Well, the Titanic. Oh, you know what? Thing. It might be. That's it might Dingus's be. Dingus's usual question. <laughs> well, okay, what? It might be before Dingus. You might be right. Well, I think that's why she's encouraged to go. So I think that the audition actually happens in the shower, Tom. <laughs> Mm, that's that's uh, that okay. List. Maybe that's. Oh out. my! Did you hear what Kelly? Oh, I'm gonna no, what did he that. say? What did he? No, say? you don't want to know. You do not want to know. What did Kelly he say? Wand, I missed it. It was a, it's a Holocaust joke. <laughs> oh, geez. Kelly Wand, what do you think this is? A Mel Brooks movie? <laughs> Kelly Wand, it's Passover. Don't make. <laughs> Kelly Wand, what is your second favorite audition, tryout, or administrative test? In a movie. <laughs> oh, no. Okay. Also, uh, DMV. Anything at the DMV is fine. I hate you people. Well, obviously, the Zootopia part <laughs> This loss is trying out to be a comedy yeah. performer. Well, he's trying out the joke, so he's auditioning his joke. Yep. No, my number two is from the, I think, grossly underrated movie, Drop Dead Gorgeous, with Allison Janney. <laughs> And there's a I'm is this an audition? Okay. And Denise Richards is the villain. It's like uh, a okay. beauty pageant. And Kirsten Dunst is the good girl. Oh, and okay. Amy Adams is in it as a nymphomaniac. And so they're trying out for this uh, high school pageant. And Kirstie Alley's Denise Richards' mom. And uh, so the judges are like the town elders. It's like a Fargo kind of town. And one of them's like, yeah, the young girls are going to come in here in a minute. Uh, you know, to audition for the pageant. He says audition, just saying. And then he asks him stuff like, so did you guys like to swim? And they ask what kind of tree they want to be. <laughs> and Aiden Adams says green. And, uh, 
there's another good scene where Denise Richards, she's the, uh, she's like a murderess, by the way. She kills people in it, and she's hot for a jock, and the jock kind of spurns her for Kirsten Dunst, who's like a cafeteria worker. And Kirsten Dunst's job is to dress corpses at the mortuary. And she like jams to her Walkman while she is it. She is in, She's like in a super good mood all the time. That's sort of her character. Mm-hmm. And then Denise Richards, uh, he so the guy hits on, on Kirsten Dunst. So then it's like a mockumentary movie. And so she's talking to the camera. Kirsten Dunst says, and then she takes the sheet off a nearby corpse, and it's the jock, and he's been shot in the head by Denise Richards. And Kirsten Dunst is like, well, yeah, I guess I don't have a lot of time for boys anyway. And then just starts. Anyway, and Chris, okay, so for the audition scene, Denise Richards is cheating, so she has the she pays the judges to ask Kristen Dunst a really hard question at the audition, so she won't be able to get in, and so they ask all the other girls like these stupid questions, and then Kristen Dunst is last, and then they're all, all right, name and spell all the United States in alphabetical order. <laughs> She's all really. Oh. Uh, and then she seems kind of anxious, and she's all Alabama, A L A B A M A, Alaska. And then it cuts to her like three minutes later, and she's super into it. She's all West Virginia, W E S P I R. So she gets in, and then it's like, Ugh. also Brittany Murphy's in it. But I really like that movie. I'm really surprised. Yeah, Brittany Murphy's in it. That's what it says at the end of the movie. Um, it kind of goes on t- 10 minutes too long, but I think it's really funny. And I remember it killed when I saw it. I saw it at the theater, like I snuck in, and the audience was howling. I'm just saying. Uh, Dingus, Kelly Wan seems to think that a beauty pageant is also an audition. Oh, come on. What? That's not an audition? They're getting on a stage. It's a, com- it's a competition. Is, it, is, it, is a talent show an audition? Yeah, you audition for talent. Yeah? <laughs> right, right, but is the actual talent show? You're, you're describing no, the actual audition for it, and this is auditioning for a pageant, and the talent show is. is oh, this pageant. isn't to determine who's the winner of the pageant is. No, no, no. This is well, to get into the pageant at the beginning. Oh, okay. Well, that's okay. Jesus. All right, Kelly Wand. Because it's like the beginning of those weird voice things. I wasn't describing the end, the climax of the movie. I was describing the audition scene ten minutes into the movie. I didn't know. I actually honestly didn't know you had to audition for a pageant. I thought you like won a part in it or something. No, no. You don't have to audition for a pageant. Oh. Alright, well. Well, in this movie... Well, yeah, but Kirstie Alley's... She's running the... Uh, she's running the table. Is that the phrase? I've I was definitely... totally distracted by him talking about her... Like cutting a corpse open because all I could start thinking about was Ra and that like test scene where she's cutting. Yeah, it gets you hot. Yeah. Well, well. Uh, did you? So neither you saw this movie? No, I do not know Drop Dead Gorgeous at all. Strange. Allison Janney says she she gets asked about that movie more than any other thing she's ever done. How old is this? It's ninety eight. She does not get asked about that more than anything. She said that. She said she. Kurt Russell said he gets asked about the thing the most, and you know that's how he knew over the years that it was it was actually a sleeper hit because he goes everybody talked about the thing like they never asked me about Escape from New York, and Allison Janney in Drop Dead Gorgeous, she's like Kirsten Dunst's mom, and so Denise Richards blows up their trailer, and so Allison Janney. No, I, I, I imagine people asking her about Margaret more than anything else. Ah, uh, but what are you gonna ask her? Well, here's the thing. Well, wait. Hold I'm that joking. up. So then Allison Janney, about Margaret, but she gets, 
She's in a, she, her trailer gets blown up, and then Chris Dunst comes to visit her in the hospital, and her arm's been burned, but it's it's holding a can of beer, but it's like a burned arm, and she has it for the rest of the movie, and she tries to drink the beer at one point. It's fucking. Sounds like she's uh, practicing for her role in I Tanya. Oh, uh, she's sympathetic and drop dead gorgeous. Oh, oh I see. okay. The, uh, Christy Alley's the. Um, oh, she's not Denise Richards' mom, right? Okay. No, no, Christy Alley's characters mixed up, right? And there's a cool. I don't know. I like that movie. I don't understand why people don't get it. All right, drop dead gorgeous. Drop dead gorgeous. Number two pick. Greatest. Second favorite audition in a movie. What do you got? All right, here's a quote from it. I can't bluff or lie without giggling. And this is from the movie Manhattan Murder Mystery. Um, <laughs> have you guys seen Manhattan Murder Mystery? Yeah, I don't remember it at all, but I saw it. Sure. Tom? I don't think I – is that the one where Jeff Daniels comes out of a movie? No. That's Paul Rose Cairo. Oh, yeah, I don't think I know Manhattan Murder Mystery. All right, it's so Manhattan cute. Manhattan Murder Mystery is cute. Is that the one where Diane uh, – uh, the, the don't speak? No, what is that? Uh, Diane Weist saying don't speak? No, no. no, that's uh, – That's Bullets the, Over uh, Broadway. Yeah, okay. that's Jim All right. So Manhattan Murder Mystery is basically like Woody Allen taking another swing at the uh, – at what people purportedly say Annie Hall was supposed to be. Annie Hall was supposedly uh, – I mean I don't know if this is really true, uh, but urban legend is that Annie Hall was a, a, a murder mystery, and then they just <laughs> edited it into any hall. <laughs> what? Wow. You've never heard this. Are you sure? Yeah. Uh, that it was this weird, like, uh, it was it was more of a thriller kind of a movie, and then he edited it into hunting. a uh, into a romantic comedy that uh, was, I don't know, I, I don't know what won Best Picture that year. I can't remember. Um, Star Wars. Star Wars won an Academy Award for Best Picture? No, Annie Hall beat oh, it. No, probably Famous. Rocky. Anyway, um, but it became a classic movie. So eventually Woody Allen took another bite at the apple and uh, made Manhattan Murder Mystery, which is this really wacky uh, this wacky murder mystery romp kind of a movie. Um, and it's this couple, and it's... Uh, Woody Allen and Diane Keaton as an older couple in New York living in an apartment and it has sort of a rear window vibe uh, because the neighbor down the hall from them uh, is this older dude who's a little older than them. Uh, he and his wife invite them over for drinks one night and then she's and then the the wife in that relationship dies suddenly of a heart attack the very next night. And so Diane Keaton, who is uh, uh, has a friendship with Ted, uh, not Ted Danson, oh good lord, <laughs> with Alan Alda. Ted Bundy, Ted Bundy, <laughs> not, not Ted Bundy, with Alan Alda, who has a oh. friendship with Alan Alda, but they have a ver- they have a very strong uh, attraction to each other. Um, they they both start trying to solve, like trying to solve this this murder mystery that they're they're certain that this woman didn't actually die of a heart attack that that this guy must have murdered her. And, uh, and so this whole intrigue develops and, uh, and, you know, I was really kind of a little bit nervous about watching this movie again, because I was worried that it wouldn't hold up. I haven't seen it in many years. It's a movie that I own. I, I love it because I saw it when I lived in Manhattan. Um, 
Uh, and I saw it with, with a very good friend there, too. And um, I was worried that it wasn't, wasn't going to hold up. And I also have this weird sort of like art versus artist kind of thing that I do with with any of the artists I love, including Woody Allen or Roman Polanski for that re- for for that matter. Um, well, that was right then. That was right after he and Mia Farrow broke out. That was like his first movie without her, and she was supposed yeah. to be in that movie. Yeah. Oh, right. yeah. Um, so it's it's we- it's always weird to sort of evaluate these movies, but you it, I think you just have to as uh, as a consumer of art, of any kind of art, or as a critic especially, just evaluate the art itself. Yeah. Um, and yeah. Um, and it, it turns out to be really, really funny. Uh, his scenes with Angelica Houston are freaking hilarious, but they're also sexy and hilarious because she is unbelievably sexy. I, I I don't know if you would if you if you met Angelica Houston you, you would think she was sexy but she is she is so confident and powerful I think so. and sexy in this movie and uh, obviously he's sort of under her sway in a little bit but he's he's also her editor uh, so he's not gonna he's like careful about crossing that line and so there's this weird thing about an older couple dealing with the the fact of of where they are in their relationship and also uh, other dynamics in their relationship and also this murder mystery that develops around them. So the audition that happens, I finally get around to it, is uh, they find out that the guy has some sort of relationship with this actress, uh, you know, an actress who's probably in her 40s, 30s, whatever. Um, and they decide, they all, they they come to this uh this idea, and this is very much also kind of portrayed in the movie Sneakers, which was around the same time, of <laughs> of let's record her saying a bunch of lines, and then we're going to play those lines in a phone call and fool this guy into thinking that we have the body of his dead wife because we think that he's murdered his wife. And so they create a phony audition for this actress ah. and, then, and this actress goes in on the stage and there's, there's very much a, um, uh, what's the Shanghai movie with Orson Welles? I can't remember. Lady from Shanghai, I think. Yeah. Um, uh, and there's this, this, this weird, uh, thing that they do with that, with the mirrors, but they bring her in to, and, and they, they create this whole phony audition so they can splice together this tape to play for this guy so that he thinks that it's her calling him. And so they do this long, long audition with this poor, this poor actress. Um, where, and, and one of the main reasons that finally made me click on this was that she has to... The, the guy she's calling, his name is Paul, and uh, <laughs> uh, Alan Alda is tasked with writing the script for this audition, and he has to come up with lines that enable her to get all of the words that she has to say that they can splice together. And what what they end up doing is is saying something where she says, well, it cast a pall over me. Um <laughs> 
and so, um, and so they use the word Paul. In, and in, the farmer says. Exactly. In, in place of the word, in place of the name Paul. So Paul instead of Paul. And so they cut, cut it all together. And Woody Allen is just in his sort of Groucho Marx best in this movie. He's doing this weird stuff with cards as Angelica Houston tries to teach him how to play cards. And he's just totally screwing up when they're trying to play the cassette and it's all cassette tapes that they're playing during the phone call and you play that cassette now you play now you play it's just ridiculous it's totally it's it's a very it's very marx brothers it's very slapstick but that that audition sequence where woody allen is playing the stage manager and uh and uh alan alda and angelica houston and diane keaton are all watching at that table that you can imagine in the in the theater, that table that's put up there on the seats, um, are directing her to do the audition, and Woody Allen is having to read the lines with her. Uh, that's my, I, I just I was so pleased to watch Manhattan Murder Mystery again and find it to be uh, that it, that it held up that it that it has this great sort of weird romantic comedy energy with this murder mystery vibe. All right. It's time before uh, soundboards and voice synthesizers. Mm-hmm. Another scene rendered obsolete by technology. Yep. And I you're right. Uh, you're you're absolutely right, Tom. You're absolutely right. All right. My second favorite audition in a movie. <clears throat> it is a woman's birthright to be attractive and charming. In a sense, it is her duty. She is the bowl of flowers on the table of life. This is the epigraph that opens this movie. It's set over a dark night sky, and it's a quote from a book called Secrets of Poise, Personality, and Model Beauty. And you're like, what? It's a woman's birthright to be attractive and chat. What the heck is this going to be? And then it cuts to it's a dark night still. Someone's running, and there's a scream and a thump, something ominous. And then super close up on a crying woman. Uh, it's a young actress named Caitlin uh, Fitzgerald. Uh, she's in the lead in this movie. I'll tell you the name in a minute. Uh, she's crying. She's distraught. Uh, and she is begging a killer not to kill her. She's begging for her life. Uh, and she starts offering – what do you want? Do you want me? Do you want my body? She starts offering to take her clothes off. And she's just so distraught the camera is right up in her face. And then she she kind of falters. And apologizes because something's confused her, and and a voice over for, a voice from off stage says, uh, "Oh, we want you to make sure there is nudity. That's clear, right?" <laughs> and then another voice says, "Oh, no, no. She's wanting to know if she should take her clothes off right now." And then the first <laughs> voice is like, "No, no. That's that's not necessary. We can see how beautiful you are, sweetheart." And she's in the middle of this audition, and it's just one cut straight up. On this audition, and she she has to start over again. And she's like, "Well, where do you want me to take it from?" And the guy's like, "It's whatever, sweetheart. It's all about you." You know these voices from the audition. And so she backs up and she goes back again into this this super distraught scene where she's crying and begging for her life and offering her body up to this killer. And this is an audition where uh, the point of it is these these people watching the audition insisting that there will be nudity and they're super extensive about saying you know if you have any reservations you have to say so now they're basically emotionally badgering her while she's doing this vulnerable scene 
to ensure that there will be no objections when it comes time to shoot this movie, and she has to do nudity. Uh, and you watch this scene, and it's this you know, this predated the Me Too movement and uh, this wider awareness of, of the abuse and harassment and taking advantage of, of young actresses. Uh, but this is a scene that very much addresses that. And it's the opening of, a, of, a, of a, a very subversive, unique horror movie called Always Shine. Now, this is the opening moment of Always Shine, and it reminds me in a bit of a little bit of, of Brian De Palma opening Blowout with a uh, calling out cheap slasher movies and their use of sexuality. Uh, the opening of Always Shine does something similar with this young woman's audition. But that's not my favorite audition because at this point, Always Shine is not – it's not done yet with what it wants to say. It's about to do something really powerful when it then cuts to the audition of another young woman played by someone I want to talk about in a moment named Mackenzie Davis. And Mackenzie yes. Davis's audition, which is shortly after the Caitlin Fitzgerald scene, is particularly powerful for a couple of reasons. Mainly, Mackenzie Davis is so good. She is so strong and unflinching. Uh, the camera, again, super close in her face for her audition. She's unwilling to be objectified or taken advantage of. Just, just quintessential, powerful female character. Uh, but it's also powerful because of the subject matter of her audition and how it parallels Caitlin Farrell, uh, Fitzgerald's audition, which we just saw a few moments ago. This is like the first uh, like 10 minutes of Always Shine. And Always Shine then goes on to be a horror movie about women and their relationships and, and the fact that they feel the need to be beautiful. And that's the whole point of this ridiculous epigraph from a book about model poise and beauty, um, how, how women feel like they have to be pitted against each other and how there's a contentiousness that men can encourage, that can be encouraged by the presence of men between women. Uh, and it's uh, Caitlin Fitzgerald, Mackenzie Davis, who we, I think, mainly know from Blade Runner 2049, where she just had a part as a hooker who oh. literally gets covered with CG. <laughs> That's for, yeah. sort of her role in the movie. Um, Small catch fire, too. Exactly. That's I, She's from a TV show, which I don't know. And she's the lead in that, Kelly Wand? Yeah. Okay. She's one of, there's like two women and two guys, and she's like the main. What, what is she, she like in that? Like, is, is she good? Is it like, what kind of character yeah, is it? She changes. Uh, it, she's one, She's like Michael Corleone. She kind of changes and goes through different phases. But she's like a... She's like a she has like a short haircut and she like listens to punk rock and she's a program she's like a genius programmer of game designer. Okay. Who's aging out edged uh she gets blocked and so she has to have sex to get to the next to like figure out her issues in the programming. Uh I think Ridley Scott also saw that idea of her as a genius programmer because she had a really fun part in The Martian. As a, a quirky programmer who discovers yeah, yeah. how to rescue Matt Damon Type from Mars, yeah. yeah. But but the the point in Always Shine, uh, which d does a very different thing. The th I guess what you would call the third act of Always Shine is it, it, Mackenzie Davis just knocks it out of the park in this. And I, I after watching Always Shine, I, I can't get enough of her. She's, She's in a, that Black Mirror too. Episode. That's what I also saw. She was in an episode of that, which I haven't seen. That's my um, least favorite one. Well, she's in. She was in this horrible uh, Orion Uziel. So Ori, Oral 
Oren Uziel. That's his name. He did Shimmer Lake, which we really like, yeah. but then his script for uh, Cloverfield Paradox was just wretched. Uh, that's yeah. the same writer? I forgot about that. Not only yep. that's the same writer, same this guy's previous script uh. was a movie called Freaks of Nature, which is a case study in – just it, it's almost like 1941, the, the Spielberg thing, for what a disaster it is. Freaks of Nature is an Oren Uziel script. It was on that whole blacklist thing for a while. And the script is about what if there was a world where zombies and uh, vampires had been integrated into the population? And they're just like minorities. They're like a stand-in for minorities. And in this situation, there's an alien invasion and, and the, the script when Oren Uziel wrote it was literally called Kitchen Sink, just for how much nonsense was in it. <laughs> oh, I've read this thing. <laughs> well, it got picked up. Yeah. It got produced. The, this poor director. It's lame. It's ter- well, it's lame and it's fascinatingly messy. And you're yeah. like, what, what do you think? It's directed by a, a guy who did – uh, a Sunday, I think it was Sunday, or he did a film festival movie called Natural Selection with uh, Rachel Harris and Matt McClary, which I really like. And that was like his first movie. And from this, he gets put on this kitchen sink that is retitled Freaks of Nature Disaster, uh, which is just, you know, uh, uh, Sony dropped it. Like this, this, normally when a movie releases wide, it's like 3,000 theaters, right? Uh, Freaks of Nature, at some point, Sony lost complete confidence in it. They didn't do any marketing, and it opened – I think it was just an obligatory thing. It was going to be a Halloween opening. It opened in, I think, like 107 theaters <laughs> for, for like a few weeks. They just dropped it. They just completely uh, – and for good reason because it's a huge mess. But So that, fe- that kind of thing happens just contractually then? Yeah, they, well, definitely. Like they, the they're, yeah, yeah. They're obligated to do some sort of a release, and if they just want to do a mandatory thing in a minimum number of theaters, they do that because the, you know to actually – Carve out space in other theaters. That's that they could put other. There's only so many slots they can put their movies into. So at a certain point, they're like, "This freaks of nature thing is garbage. We're not going to make any money off of this. Don't even try. We're just going to scuttle it." Occasionally, it's done because the there's a change in management and they just want to like scuttle whatever their predecessors were. Kelly Wand sometimes is a gem, and I think that's partly what happened too with Freaks of Nature because the guy that uh, I think picked it off of the blacklist was a big shot at Columbia, which is a subsidiary of Sony, uh, and he left shortly before uh, this movie was done. So I imagine when he left, a lot of enthusiasm for the movie also left, a lot of oversight left. It was still yeah, right. But but here's the thing about Freaks of Nature. Uh, the lead guy in it, he's okay. I mean, it's such a big, sloppy mess, whatever. There's there's some great character actors who have small parts in it. Uh, there's some fun Dennis Leary, Bob Odenkirk, uh, Joan Cusack. Like, they get a lot of people like that in it. But there's a young woman playing the lead named Mackenzie Davis. And she is a chick who uh, is turned into a vampire early on in the movie. It's a parallel for being pressured into sex. Uh, a vampire kid pressures her into, hey, let me turn you into a vampire. And then he wants nothing to do with her. And it's it's a it's not a great part, and there's not great writing in it. But you can see they're trying, and you can very clearly see how talented this young Canadian actress Mackenzie Davis is in Freaks of Nature. See, that's um, why bad movies are worthwhile sometimes. I love why. Yeah, I have no compunction with watching bad movies for exactly that sort of thing. Yeah, I discovered Jennifer Aniston in Leprechaun. <laughs> <laughs> Well, the thing is, I'd seen Freaks of Nature a long time ago, and, and I remember 
I remember remembering her, and it wasn't until uh, after seeing Always Shine that I was like, oh my god, that was her in Freaks of Nature that I went back and rewatched it and realized, yeah, she, she was good even then. Um, so anyway, my, my, fav- my second favorite audition is Mackenzie Davis's subsequent paralleled audition to the opening of, of Always Shine, which is a fascinating horror movie. It is directed by a woman named Sophia Takal, who I imagine has – a lot of experience in Hollywood with this sort of thing. It was written by her husband, a guy named Lawrence Levine. Uh, it's a little indie production, um, and uh, I recommend it. If you like horror movies, uh, it's a great like Bechdel test horror movie. Hmm. Uh, very I specific. like horror movies, so I'll watch it. All right, I like Bechdel tests. Uh, and if you like <laughs> Those Mackenzie, are Davis, if you like Mackenzie Davis, like it's all about how good Mackenzie Davis is too. She's. I can't wait for this. Although I have my doubts. Uh, she's second build. Uh, with Charlize Theron in uh, uh, the, the Tully, which is the next Jason Reitman Diablo Cody movie. I'm really hopeful. Yep. She's I in something. She's, she's in. I love the title of this. In June, there's a movie. I think it's a first-time director uh, with Mackenzie Davis and Lakeith Stanfield in a movie called – get this title. If there are any children in the room listening, please leave for a moment. The title of the movie is Izzy Gets the Fuck Across Town. <laughs> That's the name of the movie. I've uh, seen that. Uh, forgive me. What's what do we what do we know Lakeith Stanfield from? Uh, Get Out and War Machine. Oh, all right, War uh, Machine. All right, and maybe oh, something gosh. else. Uh, he he like Lakeith he stood Stanfield out like in War Machine. Is the guy with the nosebleed. I don't remember nosebleed. I just remember thinking this movie sucks, but that guy's good. Uh, he's the guy who appeared on the Oscars. I mean, he's the friend, the the guy who. Oh, the guy from Get Out, the nosebleed in Get Out, you mean? Yeah, that's right. Yeah, like he's he's the guy who is uh, who he meets brainwashed. Yeah, yeah, he's a, he's a very prominent early character in, in Get Out. Yeah, okay. uh, with Daniel Kaluuya. Yeah, right. Um, I like that guy a lot. Yeah, so I'm looking forward to Izzy gets the f across town. Uh, Tom, I think you'd like Halt and Catch Fire, but it's also annoying at the same time. Wait, is it? Is it a network TV show? Because I can't abide network TV. It was AMC. Like oh, I thought okay. it was FX, but you're right. Probably. I think I watched one of them. Well, it's Scoop McNary too, which I yeah, he's yeah. great on. I like okay. it. I liked All it right. when it was over after I thought about it. But it, oh, is it I done? Is it? It's a, like done? Yeah, it's over. It's and did it get canceled or does it wrap yeah, up? Yeah, uh, both. Like the ratings were never good, so they kind of sped up the story, kind of like that. Okay. With like they did with Rome. <laughs> like I know about Rome. Okay. Oh yeah, I remember how that worked. That fell out in Rome, Kelly Wand. <laughs> oh no, really? That's not a no. good reference. That's an HBO show. Is that the thing with uh with Dominic West in that? It's like love. How they wrap it up. <laughs> yeah. So. Uh, yeah, I know Mackenzie Davis is in Halt and Catch Fire. I, I'm definitely interested. It's good. McNeary and Lee Pace is the main guy. Oh yeah, yeah. Lee Pace. We like him. Sure. Yeah, yeah definitely. Yeah. And the fourth, the other girl's good too. Who's she? Ah, I forget her name. She's really good. She's right. Subaniri's wife. Not good she's, enough for you to remember her name, apparently. I used to know it. <laughs> she's redhead, too, which usually sticks in my memory. All right. Well, Kelly Wand, do you know what your favorite audition in a movie is? Oh! Well, I, if we don't all have the same first... Number one. I, uh, yeah, obviously, everybody has the same first. There's no reason to have anything but this. You're just an idiot if this isn't your number one, really. Right, exactly. It's Seriously. just maybe you haven't seen it, and yeah. like that's crazy enough. 
That's I totally haven't seen it. That's, that's shitty too. Like yeah. if you haven't seen this, you're retarded. Uh, right, but if you have seen it, it's obviously what you would pick. It's why right. the whole point of this three by three is. We did this thirty years from now; it would still be the number one. I agree. So Kelly Wand, let's uh, make sure we're all on the same page because somebody could be getting punked or somebody could be punking someone else. What's the best audition in all of moviedom? I'm referring, of course, to Ryan Gosling in The Notebook when he auditions <laughs> for the parade. I like that you you. Oh, no, he is in the notebook. Okay, never mind. I was going to make fun of you for – I like that you're pretending you know who's in the notebook. <laughs> Rachel McAdams. It, oh, really? I saw okay. part of it once. Uh-huh. Yeah, it's it's, oh, it's it's directed by a yeah. Cassavetes, isn't it? Uh, I don't know. I, I don't Nick want to talk Nick. about it. I think it's Nick Cassavetes, isn't it? Yeah, so it's got to be great, Kelly. <laughs> yeah, seriously. And that Nicholas Sparks, he can write. Come on, women. And isn't that a that's my the notebook? Isn't that a bare naked ladies? Uh, anyway, go ahead. All right, well, Kelly Wand, maybe you did pick something different. Maybe you you're you're crazy. No, it's obviously Mulholland Drive, Naomi Watts. Someone did. Well, we'll find. We'll get to the listener picks in a minute. Well, Glorious United with David Lynch and Twin Peaks recently on TV. All right, so that's what Kelly Wand picked is something with Naomi Watts in a David Lynch movie. All right. Let me write what is the audition? What is she doing? Like, is That's, it a monologue or is it a song or is she dancing or what? She's doing a a love scene with her. It's like her dad's best friend. So it's an older man. And uh, it's in the fantasy half of the movie, the first half. And so and so she she kicks it out. Of, there's like and the director says like, I remember, don't. Get real until it is real. She's getting shit like that from him. And he looks like a John Polito kind of guy. This isn't your number one? What is it? What's your number one? Now I can't wait. What's your right, number one? I don't even know what movie he chose, Tom. Mulholland Falls. It's Drive. Mulholland yeah. Falls is the uh, hat movie with Jennifer Connell. Mulholland Drive. Movie. Oh, Mulholland Drive. Right, right, right. Sorry, right. Hat movie. He chose something called Mulholland Drive? It's David Lynch. Kelly Wanda is made for David Lynch. Naomi Watts, that's the, that's the scene that gave us Naomi Watts for the first time. Real quick, why is why are you calling Mulholland Falls? I know why it's the Jennifer Connelly movie. Why is it the hat movie? All the guys wear hats in it. They all oh. wore hats. <laughs> so is L.A. Noir also the hat movie? Or Gangster, yeah. is Gangster Squad as well? <laughs> Speaking of Ryan Gosling, yeah. And two Jakes is also. <laughs> Naomi uh, Watts. Right. You don't need no, oh, whatever. Okay. All right. Well, the thing is, what do you Dying think the number one? Number yeah, the number one audition is of all time. That's weird. Guys right. are fucking weird. Here's a bit of dialogue from my number one. <sighs> See, this is what I'm talking about. Old school method. Studio, Brando. Put this in the pouch <laughs> to L.A. You guys are both idiots. You're both idiots. I'm, I do a podcast with idiots. I yes, cannot believe do. this. Sure. Things, I have no idea what you're on about, but it, there's no way – you guys have no idea what you're talking about when it comes to audition. <laughs> anyway, I'll fix it. So Dingus, what is that? I don't know that. This is from the uh, the opening sequence of the movie Kiss Kiss Bang Bang. Uh, <laughs> I love this audition. Uh. <laughs> this is funny, but obviously not the best. But go on. Explain, describe it. Uh, you hear that, Dingus? <laughs> you see? Yeah. <laughs> Funny doesn't mean shit, really. <laughs> so Robert Downey Jr.'s character, this is what sets the movie into motion, um, is uh, shopping, quote-unquote shopping, <laughs> robbing for a Christmas toy for his uh, niece. 
Jingle uh, all the day. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> and his uh, his partner in crime uh, gets killed in the in the back in the alley in New York City. Um, and is it's his close friend of his. He gets killed, and he and in running away from this and running away from the police, he stumbles into an audition, and uh, then I think it's Larry Clark. Uh, says no, no, let him stay. Go ahead and do your thing. And, <laughs> and Robert Downey Jr. sits down. And he's handed this piece of paper, and he has to sit down with this woman to to read this, these lines. He's he's this guy who's he's just lost his friend. He's <laughs> totally freaked out. He doesn't know what to do. He tries to read it, and then he just goes off script because the the script happens to be this noir idea of somebody getting their partner killed and he's just gotten his partner killed. Um, <laughs> and, uh, of course what, what they're really doing, what, what unfolds is that this audition sends him to, to Los Angeles. He meets Gabe Perry. Um, a good, good Lord. You guys watching this movie again. Oh, you guys, I love watching Kiss Kiss Bang Bang. I just freaking love watching Kiss Kiss Bang Bang much um uh, uh <laughs> what it leads him to understand is that you know he's never going to get this part and finally gay perry played by val kimmer tells him you're not going to get this part oh come on come on you can be as mean to me as you want no you're not gonna get this part colin farrell just wanted more money <laughs> it's just funny <laughs> I, had, I had forgotten it was colin farrell that was the that was the actor that they were talking about in this movie like colin farrell just wants more money that he's just trying to shave two million dollars off of his ass i mean that's all he was trying to do that's why you came out here that's why that happened and this all happened because of the audition and i love that weird just happenstance audition in kiss kiss bang bang all right, I don't know what you guys' deal is that you're being so mean to Emma Stone in La La Land. I mean, this, this song is actually called Audition, The Fool's Who Dream. What's the matter with you guys? Wait, that, seriously. You know, what? I didn't even think of that. Think about that until I was out at lunch with Alexandra. What do you mean you didn't think of it? It's the whole point. It's, it's, yes, I the turning point that. before I, the third act. You guys, I, have you guys seen La La Land? Do you that wasn't an audition because she wasn't competing. Boom. No, because I thought you were just going to be a lady bird. called Audition. I the song is called Audition, Those Who Dream. It's an, it's why, so she doesn't know either what it means. Well, Alexandra brought it up. We were sitting at lunch this week, and she's like, La La Land, obviously. I'm like, well, yeah. why don't, why don't well, you write two it about them. that? And she's like, all of you are going to pick that. Well, you know, I There's two of the auditions. It. It's, it's, it's really only a matter of do you pick the one where you realize, hey, she's really good, but the casting yeah. directors are jerks, and yes. they're not paying attention to her, and there's someone in the window saying, hey, what do you want to, for lunch holding up a That one's better. You well, that, that one, that's the one where you realize, wow, she's really good because she's really putting her heart into the dialogue. You've seen her practicing it in the car, and it's so heartfelt. And Damien Chazelle knows in both scenes, by the way, to just hold on her face, just show her face. We don't need to cut, especially that one. That one's one cut. I think there I might like be – I don't like the second. I don't like your choice. You don't just, like the supposed to be telling dreams? a story, right? Yeah, she's a. That's not a story. Her, All right, Kelly Wan. Here, here's why this is the best audition in movie dumb. <laughs> well, let me All talk right. to you, Kelly Wan, as a professional here. <laughs> not my tempo. <laughs> All right, Kelly Wan. I'm an actor. Sure. Oh, not my tempo. Well done, Kelly. <laughs> when you come in for an audition. <clears throat> They don't want to just have you like – they don't want to see how well you can read dialogue. They don't want to know if – like you can read a script, for instance. That's never the point of an audition. 
An audition is for the people doing the casting to get a sense for who you are, what yeah. you're like. Uh, yes. and, and the funny thing about an audition, that's a great scene early on where the casting directors are jerks because th that's a bad audition. But that's not how most auditions go. That's I the typical – well, that, that's the typical uh, misrepresentation of, hey, Hollywood is a terrible place. Look at what auditions are like. The, the, the dynamic in an audition room is that everybody will be happy if the same thing happens. Everybody right. wants the same thing. The casting directors want you to be good. You want to be good. You want the part. Everybody in audition room is on the same page. And, and and I ideally, by the way, that's the way an audition should be. That's the way a good audition is. And 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 that audition that she comes into at the end of the movie, well, the, the bit between the second and the third act, I guess, um, it, it's a classic example of that. They say to her, you know, we don't have a script. Uh, this is a great opportunity. Uh, we just want to work closely with an actress. So just tell us a story. And and that is the whole. That right there is laid bare. What an audition is about is they just want to know. An audition has is is a way to find out something less tangible, or more personal, more intimate than hey, can this person deliver dialogue? No, it's a way to In find my out experience, who you are. Yeah. Exactly who you are. In my experience, and I think one of the reasons that I, I was never a great actor is whenever I went to, into an audition, the, the dialogue or the script was something that I was hiding behind. It was something that protected me. If I had ever walked into an audition and someone said to me, tell me a story, I would have run screaming from the building. I do not have that much self-assuredness, and that's a, ter like, that's a really difficult spot to be put on if you're used to just hiding behind a script and relying on a script. Um, but that's why that you know in audition they need to see that part of you, and a really good actor can communicate him or herself like that. And that's what Damien Chazelle. We've already seen that she can deliver dialogue. That's what Damien Chazelle is doing with that song in that scene. He is letting us see something more tangible, less tangible. I mean, can she read a crappy script? Can she be? You know, there's the whole montage, by the way, of her reading dumb dialogue earlier in the movie. But it's it's a look at at how an audition is about finding out something yeah. intimate and personal about someone, and that's expressed in one take with a song that is an amazing song. It reminds me like it's the song you put at the end of a first act of a musical before the audience is going to go out in the intermission, and you have to do a song that like tells them a bunch of stuff and it builds to, to a crescendo. And it promises, hey, something exciting is going to happen, so that they don't leave at intermission, like that, you know, that bit at the barricades in Les Misérables, you know, one more day, like all that, like, hey, something crazy is going to happen, or a, a West Side Story, the, the intermission song there tonight. It's all promising, and it builds to a crescendo that's a promise, and that's the same kind of thing with uh, those who dream. That song in La La Land is it builds to this crescendo that something remarkable is going to happen. And it's just revealing who she is, this, this, this person here and her memory of her aunt and like this inner dialogue that she expresses to these casting directors. Um, so at any rate, Kelly Wand and Dingus, come on. Yeah, kiss, kiss, bang, bang. It's funny. But La La Land, come on, you guys. That's no, I, I agree with you. I mean, I've had that experience myself. You know, I went into audition once where I was supposed to have a Russian accent and the the director's like, like Harrison Ford. You sound kind of Argentinian. <laughs> but I'm not, I, had, not. I had so much chemistry with the actress. He's like, uh, I like you, and we're going to cast you. We'll just change it. I mean, because they just liked who I was, and it wasn't – you're exactly right. It's just about figuring out who that person is. And, and I agree with you. I mean, this is beautiful. But I, yeah, I mean, I just love – Kiss, kiss, bang, bang. So. 
I was sure we would all pick La La Land. I just thought you guys might pick the one, the jokey audition, where the jerky casting directors. Um, I I just feel like I don't know you guys anymore. No, that's – by the okay, I've never been on an audition, um, but – sorry, confess, <laughs> speaking of ignorance, but I'm pretty sure that that first right. one, there's a lot of those. I'll bet no, I know, know, right. The ones you went on where you were probably on a short list already, but I'll bet there's tons of auditions that are that rude. No, no, I've been in plenty, and believe me, and Ding is like like I've I've been in plenty of crappy auditions, but I think it's yeah. it's a bit disingenuous to characterize that this is how LA works. Like a a a, a good director, a, a, and this is by the way why you often hear about actors talking about. You know, I don't audition, and that's fine. They they don't realize this, but they are auditioning when they sit down and have lunch with a director, for instance. Right. right. A good director doesn't have See? to sit behind a table <laughs> and give you the sides from of, of dialogue and say, "Here, read this." Um, I could. But, but that's what what happens in crappy productions is you know, and and they sure they hire a bad actor, they get a bad movie, they've got a bad script anyway. Yeah, sure, that's crap. But actual Hollywood, like actual good actors, don't have to deal with that kind of crap. I say good actors, uh, actual working professional actors who have managed to do this as a career don't have to deal with that kind of crap. Well, that's what um, kind of taking a meeting is. I mean, taking right, right. a meeting is often the right. thing, and that and that's one of the one of my my runners up was a little bit of like an immediate taking a meeting kind of a thing. It's just that feeling of, uh, oh, okay, I know who you are. All right, I can write something for you, and you'll fit right in. Or you'll you I, I know exactly that you can groove right into this production. Yeah. I mean that's what taking a meeting often is about. I mean sometimes it's about making deals and whatnot, but sometimes it's just about getting a feel for who the other person is, and that's often what an audition is. Do you think that Catherine Bigelow sat down with Harrison Ford to find out if he could do a Russian accent for uh, that nuclear submarine movie? I don't know who that person you first said was. What was the director? Dwayne Johnson. Again? Catherine who? Catherine Bigelow. Catherine K-19 what? Widowmaker. Yeah, the director of K-19 Widowmaker. Catherine Bigelow. Yeah, Blue Windmill. Steel. Windmill. <laughs> Blue Steel. Joe Johnson <laughs> says only one audition came to mind. I'm sure it's going to be a popular one. Joe, it's not as popular as it should be, but it is popular. He says – Robert Downey Jr. ducks into a film audition to escape the cops and kiss, kiss, bang, bang. A producer hands him the script for the role of a thief on the run from the cops who just got his partner killed. He breaks down and sobs just as an officer busts in, apologizes, and lamely tells him, good luck. He ends up scoring the part and finding himself in Los Angeles, quote, at the party. Just a great little meta moment that perfectly encapsulates the film's wry sense of humor. A new Predators movie from Shane Black, right, you guys? Exciting. Uh Yeah, I hear it has a talking monkey in it. He only says ficus. <laughs> Just like Caddyshack. It's not a monkey in Caddyshack, Kelly Wan. Oh, oh, sorry. I mean Planet of the Apes. Uh, I'm just now seeing this. We didn't used to get all these like, hey, I want to write a guest post on your blog. And uh, like our emails getting like spam and everything. I think we're hitting it yeah. big now that we're getting we're spam. We're getting a lot of. Uh, yeah. like, That's hitting it big is when someone writes in and goes, I want to write a guest post on your blog. What That's, that means that, is that, 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 that's that, the party. That, <laughs> what that means, Kelly Wan, is that the email address has been posted online enough that like bots are picking it up. Right. Yeah, Russia troll bots. Or Mark A. Drexler. So Dingus has a point. Kelly Wand, you're about to get a point because Mark A. Drexler writes, the coolest I can immediately think of is when Naomi Watts, quote, blows it out of the park in yeah. Mulholland Drive. I don't think you blow it out of the park. That's what the I think you blow it out of the park. That's a different park. <laughs> 
Uh, it's so good. Have you have you watched that scene? You know what I'm talking about. No, I was busy rewatching La La Land. Go on, go on online a, and watch it after this podcast. All right. George you tell Michael. me right. how stupid you are. Oh my God, Luke S. This one is so good. <laughs> I love this one. Uh, we were talking about cat people recently. Kelly one, do you remember the Malcolm McDowell and the Stasha Kinski cat people? Yeah. You remember who directed like that? Worker story. Um, fuck. I, this made me want to see it again because I didn't remember this. It's someone I like, right? You said it was Paul, Paul Schrader, didn't you? Yeah, Paul Schrader yeah. Yeah. did Paul Cat Schrader. People. So uh, Luke S. brings up hardcore, uh, and he says <laughs> George C. Scott puts on his worst wig and fake mustache I've to stage – oh, hardcore is so good. It's great yeah. Peter Boyle uh, – to stage auditions for a bogus porno movie. In walks, quote, Big Dick Black – <laughs> That's his name. An apparently accomplished performer who happens to be the wrong color. George C. Scott, who did not have a pleasant time making the movie uh, – oh, the actual actor, he means uh, – looks like he'd rather be anywhere else as he politely listens to the angry man exclaim, quote, I can come ten times a day. I can keep it hard two hours at a time. I'm a woman's dream. I got a dick hung on me nine inches long, end quote. <laughs> Fuck this! Give me Exorcist three. <laughs> I did. I did actually entertain the idea of Boogie Nights. Uh, is, is there an audition in there? Well, it, there's there's Burt Reynolds sitting down and saying, "All right, uh, roll a girl, come on over here." I mean, it's the first time he brings Mark Wahlberg. They're shooting, right? Well, no, no, they're not shooting. It's it's just uh. them hanging out. You know, it's after he's gone to to see him as the dishwasher, and they're at the house, and uh, Julianne Moore kisses him and goes off, and then he says, "Roll a girl, come on here," and then it's like, "Are we gonna fuck?" And and it yeah, basically yeah. is his tryout. Ouch. You know, it is his audition. So this it's kind his of sex tryout. It's his sex tryout, and you know, Burt Reynolds is kind of getting off on it, but he's also saying, "Is this kind of guy going to be able to perform?" So what? Luke was talking about there totally reminds me of my thoughts about Boogie Nights, but it just didn't seem to quite right. He could have sex with Heather Graham. Okay, he's passed the ultimate stress test. The thing is, like, I don't uh, hardcore. George C. Scott plays a preacher whose daughter runs away and goes to Los Angeles and gets involved in the porn scene, and I think. It's like the searchers. I think it's murdered. (laughs) Does she get murdered or kidnapped? I forget. Anyway, she goes missing, and he's a Christian. He's a preacher who has to go into the seedy underbelly of the porn scene to look for his daughter and he's posing as a porn director and he eventually hooks up with Peter Boyle who's a detective who's really good in it uh, as they track down his daughter yeah yeah that didn't sound interesting to me as a kid so I skipped it and now it's like now you can't really find it I think hardcore is vintage Paul Schrader like what he was trying to do in autofocus is the stuff he actually did in uh, hardcore yeah. Okay, that's a good recommendation because yeah. I like. Uh, and then we, he would eventually direct Eight Millimeter, right? Yeah. No, isn't that Brian Joel De Palma? Sh- no, it's Joel Schumacher. I think. Ew, Brian De oh, Palma's Snake Eyes. Oh God! <laughs> right. <laughs> the other snuff film movie, right? Yeah. The athlete <laughs> with, name with Nicolas Cage. Yeah. Uh, Luke S. By the way, is going to make you guys both feel like bigger. Well. Almost as big a dummies as I made you feel like when I told you the best audition in movies. <laughs> stand so by, because first, here comes his number two. This isn't the one I'm talking about. His number two is Waiting for Guffman. He says, okay, it's a deleted scene, but it's uh, great. Parker Posey as Libby auditions for a part in a small town production of Red, White, and Blaine. 
She achieves peak levels of human adorableness ooh, as she poorly delivers a monologue to her brother in an insane asylum hospital room. She recounts the times when her mother would lock her in the attic with her brother where they would talk to a doll – Ew, and he would sexually assault her? Ew, Luke. The scene ends with her pulling the plug on her dying brother. Oh, I see, because it, yeah, it's hilarious, and at one point she says, "Especially." <laughs> that sounds so That's cute. Hot. Well, just yeah. so adorable. Just as I, He's a cutie in that. I, I, well, I'm not the cop this time, but I, I railed against you for choosing a deleted scene. You can't choose a deleted scene for a 3 by 3 Luke, stop it. Mm. Uh, well, I, I don't Luke, get to pull I'm, him I'm, over. No, no, don't uh, me. The, 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 this is a deleted scene. It's not in the movie. It's not a movie. Uh, Luke, I'm offering you a full pardon. Yeah, of course you are. I don't are. care if Dingus you, investigates you. He can Mueller you all he wants. I got a full pardon waiting for you, Luke, because of your number one, by the way. He can Dingus, France talking. I agree with you, but check this out. As soon as you see his number one, you're going to feel dumb, almost as dumb as I made you feel. I don't know and if you're also going to see his number one. It's you're, you're, you're also going to not uh, – you're going to drop the investigation. Ready? Yeah. No collusion. <clears throat> Here we go. Lewin makes his way to a Chicago oh, audition for yeah, Bud Grossman in a yeah. last desperate bid for success. Against all odds, Lewin finds himself sitting before Bud where he proceeds to play an absolutely beautiful rendition of The Death of Queen Jane. Bud is visibly moved by the performance but immediately dashes Lewin's hope by saying, quote, he sees no money there. Yeah. He, then he goes, uh, you should get back together with your partner. Yeah. His partner committed suicide. He's all, that's yeah. good advice. <laughs> yeah. Thank you. Yeah, nobody likes his music. I love that movie. That, and that's, that's a great, great scene, choice. too. That's, that scene yeah. is such a gut punch, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. that is. It's like the Naomi Watts scene. That's the best part of that movie, I think. And do you guys remember if that's a black and white movie or a color movie? That's so tricky, Dingus. You keep, you're going to get me with that again. It's color. It's color, but it even though I want to say it's black and white, the only reason I'm not saying it's black and white is because you're asking me. Yeah, yeah, you're <laughs> it's right. It's color. No, it's black and white. Shut up. John Renninger wow. says, and he actually writes – he opens his email with John Renninger says, for the second three-by-three three in a row, the first two movies I thought of were musicals, but instead of picking the obvious and somewhat dated A Chorus Line, I'm choosing a documentary about it. John, documentaries are not movies. Uh, he's choosing a documentary about it called Every Little Step. The documentary explores the development process of the original production and the over 3,000 dancers who auditioned for the 2008 revival. Huh? The best audition is Jason Tam for the character of Paul, which is just an amazing moment captured on film. I don't know what any of that means. Chorus line? Is that an, That's like an old-timey movie? Uh uh, well, the the chorus line audition scene is an iconic scene as far as auditions are concerned, but uh, I don't know the documentary he's talking about. But he he's really intrigued me. I don't really care for a chorus line, but uh, but that's an iconic scene because it's. Do we know whole, who Jason like, Tam is? Uh, well, we know who Paul is. I, I don't know who Jason Tam is, but I know who oh. character Paul is. But it's that. I, I think the the famous moment is all right. It's that step. Everybody step back. Uh, oh, and everybody who's everybody who didn't step back thinks they're the ones who won, and they're not the ones who won. Um, uh, but now, I, I think that's what I'm thinking of. But John Rambo right. makes me want to see this movie now. Well, it's not a movie; it's a documentary. Oh, I'm sorry. I thought it was a cartoon. 
John Ranger says, the quote for my second choice is, I can be shorter. The reply is, <laughs> we're looking for somebody different. And then Dustin <laughs> Hoffman – yeah, exactly. Very good. Biggest. And then Dustin Hoffman in the movie Tootsie says, I can be different, and they say, we're looking for someone else. At this point, cross-dressing is the only answer. The question is how to finance roommate Bill Murray's play. <laughs> Oh, I forgot this. Is the tomato thing an audition or is it a commercial? Where he's like, or is it just something that he talks about? He's like, I, I, I think he talks about like being he. Nobody could beat the way he played the tomato. Isn't he a piece of fruit in an underwear commercial, or am I thinking of something else? You might be, thinking, but I thought he was talking about Drive how great he was as as a tomato. Oh, that's a great pick. <laughs> I forgot that. That is good, John. I can be shorter. The audition through Mrs. Doubtfire. Uh, Kelly Wand. <laughs> Too soon. It was a drive-by tomatoing. Uh, John says his third choice would be auditions for the role of Adolf Hitler in Mel Brooks' The Producers. Uh, yeah. uh, let's see. Wait, what? He says a movie musical about Will Ferrell accidentally auditions when he's oh. offended by the singing with the quote. This is how you, wait, what's he talking about Will Ferrell? Oh, that's the Nathan Lane Matthew Broderick one. Uh, I didn't see that. Well, what are you nuts? John Renninger thinks that's the Why one. would I watch a reboot? John, you're breaking my heart here. Jaime Cabrera. I Yay. wanted to narrow down auditions to auditions where the person didn't know they were auditioning. Jaime, what? That, all right, Kelly. All right, all right, I like, I like. Yeah, I, I'm sure, yeah. <laughs> but he says, I could only think of two. Oh, my God. Jaime, no. No. Hey, no. This is terrible. I love Tom's reaction right now. This is so great. Oh, he's trolling me because he even says, cue the groan from everyone except maybe Dingus. All right, here's the quote. I cannot teach him. From The Empire Strikes Back, Yoda plays the fool uh, so that Luke won't know. Luke won't know. He's trying out Luke. for the part of a print. He's trying out for the part of apprentice. Say what you will about this probably being very cliche, but I like this one growing up. I still can't help but smile at how arrogant Luke comes across. Not an audition. Kelly Wong, that's a tryout. That's a tryout. He's trying out for the team, for Team Yoda. He fails and then still gets accepted. Yeah. Team Yoda is he's the only other guy on Dagobah. So, you know. There's only two, it. and Leah never auditions. Spoiler alert. I guess her audition's in episode eight. Here's another one. Again, this is a tryout. This is not. This is. Uh, if you can't I'm, raise the X Wing, bring it. Is he going to bring up Karate Kid? Basically, Dingus, it might as well be. The quote is, he's still skinny. It's Captain America, the first Avenger. I love the scene where Tommy Lee Jones' character, thinking to make a point about bravery, throws what appears to be a live grenade into a group of men. Everyone except a very skinny Steve Rogers dives for cover, while our hero dives on the grenade and waves everyone else away in an attempt to save him. Tommy Lee Jones gruffly says, Tommy Lee Jones gruffly says, he's still skinny, and walks away. But we don't Not see any audition. other scenes. Where he criticizes uh, her deaths. Yeah. It satisfies the criteria. It's satisfying. About. I love that. I mean, I just watched it before, no, we, before we watched uh, Black Panther. Uh, and that, that scene tear, it makes me tear up every time the way he, like, I, I mean, Chris Evans is just so earnest. He's so great in that scene. But that's not a freaking audition. I mean, you could. It would, it would have been funny. You could almost off. stretch him applying for getting into the military and. and and um, and going through that whole process as an audition, maybe, but that's not an audition. That's not Police Academy. The whole movie's that's an audition. Not an audition. <laughs> None of these are auditions. 
<laughs> Arthur Arthur Gilvalangelani says Jesus. Inception. The movie uh. opens with Ken Watanabe allowing Leonardo DiCaprio to infiltrate his dreams in order to hold what he calls quote an audition. Watanabe's oh. character wants to see how good DiCaprio is at using dreams before he decides whether or not to hire him for the Fisher job. The audition itself consists of two dream layers and a deception that's revealed when the dreamer uses the wrong carpet. Before you throw me in jail, Arthur says, please note the script actually calls this an audition during one of uh, Ken Watanabe's lines. Dingus, I'm going to let you uh, be the arbitrator on this. Should Arthur Jilvalangalali be thrown into jail? Well, I Arthur don't betrayer. Think, I don't think it fits what I consider an audition to be, but that's because I'm trained as an actor, but but Christopher if, Nolan. If, but if it says be... it's in the script, I don't know that I can. I don't know that I can ding Arthur for that. Dingus, you can't second guess the director of Interstellar. Which what movie tough, is though. that? Is that the so one with the with the Casey Affleck in Arthur Renfall Jalalani? His number two pick. Dingus, you'll like this. Kiss, kiss, bang, bang. After Toy Story robbery goes poorly. Our DJ evades the, the police by running into a casting for a movie. We know what happens. Takes uh, her back. The audition sets the whole movie into motion. Uh, Arthur says it's a, quote, pretty funny scene as well, end quote. I didn't agree with him being called RDJ, by the way. I, I actually uh, editorialized that into Arthur Govlongalali's uh, email. Right. RDJ is not RG. something he wrote. Uh, and then his number one pick, Pitch Perfect, Anna Kendrick's Cup Song is performed during the acapella auditions, and it's fantastic, Kelly Wand. B-Cup Song. Oh, so so you just wait till you see it. You wait, you're going to be like, I did not know Anna Kendrick had cleavage like that. That's what you're going to say. Really? Sounds Nick like you really, D yeah. right. says, since La La Land has surely already been chosen, Nick D, you would think, right, that these jokers – he says he avoided it, so his number three pick is from Kiss Kiss Bang Bang. His number two pick is from the movie True Romance. Michael Rappaport walks to a new <laughs> – What? I don't know this. Michael Rappaport walks into an audition for T.J. Hooker, and the casting agent tells him, now, the part you'll be reading is the one for one of the bad guys. There's Brian and Marty, to which Rappaport says, who? <laughs> so I love that, Nick D says. But then he gets about five seconds into the audition when she stops him and says – Thank you. I'm very impressed. You're a very fine actor and kicks him out of the room. <laughs> See? I like Mike, Michael Rappaport playing dumb guys. Yeah, he is good at it. Uh, uh, Nick D, here's a quote from my number one. I got a couple of songs I wrote in the Air Force. You got anything against the Air Force? Nope. <laughs> well, I do. Oh. Oh. Eh. I don't know how I feel about this. I mean, I, none, I don't think any of us have seen it, but okay, here we go. This is a little movie from the director of Logan. See what he's trying to do? He's pandering uh, to us, you guys. Mm -hmm. From the director of Logan, it's a little movie called Walk the Line. Johnny Cash yeah. begs a local <sighs> music producer to let him audition to be on the music label. He goes in with his two buddies, and they play a boring gospel song. The producer isn't impressed and asks him if he has anything else. So Johnny Cash plays Folsom Prison Blues, a song with much edgier lyrics. It's the first time we hear Joaquin Phoenix drop his voice down to the lower register, and we see a smile slowly spread on the producer's face. Oh, this is a great pick, actually. This is great. You guys haven't seen Walk the Line? No. Why would I see a biopic about it? I don't see movies that tell me what to do. Because, <laughs> because 
Joaquin Phoenix and Reese Witherspoon are amazing in it, and they sing Joaquin so well. And uh, this is kind of how I uh, this soundtrack is how I introduced my son to the music of Johnny Cash um, because they sing it so well, uh, and it just works so well within the movie. Oh, this is a really cool pick because it also it's really character driven. I, I like this pick a lot. I didn't think about that. That's cool. Well, I prefer Reese Witherspoon's later funnier stuff like Hot Pursuit and uh, Sweet Home Alabama. I'm sure. Sylvia Regard. That's her early funnier stuff. Dingus. Oh, okay. uh, Nick D points out, Dingus, you and I will appreciate this. Kelly Wand will have no idea what we're on about. Nick D says, by the way, the music producer in that scene was an actor who played Hendrick in The Grey, and Dingus, we know him from Joshua, an actor named Dallas Roberts. Yep. Yeah. Kelly Wand will know him from Walking Dead. Ugh, I don't want Walking <laughs> well, that, Dead. That actually calls to mind, Oh Brother, Where Art Thou? I mean, is that an audition where they go into the, um, into the music booth to sing uh, uh, Man of Constant Sorrow? Are they recording or it's an audition? Well, oh, they they're auditioning for like a radio station or something, right? Is that? Yeah, kind of. Forget. I mean, yeah, I'd take it over Kelly Wan's Men in Black choice. Well, anyway, yeah, me too. I mean, Fuck yeah. that. <laughs> Chris Webb. Oh, uh, Chris Webb. Okay, well, you can imagine. Uh, hey, Chris Webb. Oh, he's trolling me. I can already see at the end yeah. of the email. All right, hold on. Chris he Webb. Likes- he's good at it. His number three pick. I think everyone will have this cheerleading movie on their list. Number three. The Swinging Cheerleaders. Kelly Wand, what can you tell us about this movie? Uh, there's two couples that want to be cheerleaders. Huh. More than I, two. I think this is like is this. I think this is like some early '70s erotica or something. Uh, Chris Webb. The quote is "Raw, raw, re, kick him in the knee. Raw, 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 kick him in the other knee." Oh, okay, All that's right, good I'll writing. Watch it. Yeah, Chris Webb's seen more cool movies than me. Uh, he writes, Mesa University student Kate Corey decides to write a story for the college newspaper about the misogynistic world of cheerleading. But first, she must go undercover and become a cheerleader and become a cheerleader herself. So she auditions with the inspiring cheer above and wins a spot on the team. Oh, yeah. And Dallas Cowboy Cheerleaders, the TV movie. Jane Seymour is a reporter who's going to expose the cheerleaders as a sex prostitution ring and then she winds up discovering hey they're really cool chicks and she becomes a cheerleader and she joins them that's very sweet that's lovely doesn't find any dirt guess what chris webb's number two pick is a little nicholas winding reffing movie here's the quote who wants sour milk when you can get fresh meat from the neon demon that audition scene where they're in their underwear. Very good, Chris Webb. The yeah. fashion designer or whomever ignores Abby Lee, and then Chris Webb writes in parentheses, I'm going to try this. Yeah. Ready? Uh, and it ignores Abby Lee and instead shapes his handkerchief into a flower to amuse himself. But he perks up for Elle Fanning because she's so talented. Definitely right. a better actor than Dwayne Johnson, Chris Webb writes. <laughs> See? See what he did there? So uncool. So, so uncool to Dwayne and to Dakota, the more talented Fanning. Very uncool. But the here we go. The Johnson. Kelly Wan, this is for you. Number one, Mulholland Drive. Of course. Oh, I, I can call them. I can call my dad, end quote. Don't know what that means. He writes, come on. Betty's audition with that old dude is the audition scene in moviedom. I'm not sure if I'd rather imagine yep. – 
Watts embracing King Kong or the wrinkly orange-skinned guy in this movie. But as always, she brings it. She can bring it on, huh, guys? Chris Webb oh, writes. so good. No, no, you're going to read. Well, Holland Drive? No, that scene at least. Okay. See what Taylor Kitsch in it? Pretend the old man's him. <laughs> and then I'm not going to read this where uh, Nick uh, – I'm sorry, this isn't Nick Dees. This is Chris Webb. C-dub, as he signs it, writes, honorable mention, as much as I didn't care for the music in La La Land, the audition scene was the one piece of original music that I kind of liked, so I'm okay with Tom's number one. Why does he write that? Why does he – Because you're a predictable uh, schlub. No, because it's what everybody's number one pick should be. That's why he writes that. Oh, my God. And then he writes, unless Tom chose the cup thing instead. And he says, if I, I just watched Gosling, I had honks during your number one. But he on. did say, Kelly, I want this for you. He says, you just watched Pitch Perfect and he's a bit disappointed, but it had, quote, top notch decolletage, end quote. I believe it. All right. That's why I would watch it. I mean, I, just I wouldn't watch it again. I mean, I, it's a it's top notch movie. Sorry. Yeah. Ugh. Don't watch Pitch Perfect 2, by the way. Still what clear. about three? I don't know about three. I can't imagine it's any good. Uh, and then uh, – so that was our second favorite Chris, by the way. Our first favorite Chris writes, I've only seen – it's Chris Markinson. I've only seen two of my three-by-three three picks. What? Hmm. I don't know I if you're allowed that. to pick things if you haven't seen them, but we'll see. But I have closely listened to a story about the third one. <laughs> <laughs> Markinson. All right. Well, his number three pick, which I think you've messed up the numbers uh, – Oh, Emma Stone is in the middle of a very emotional phone call during an audition when it's interrupted for someone to be given a message. He picked the wrong one from La La Land, and he screwed up the no, numbers. Right. But all right. Yeah. His number two, the tall guy. Jeff Goldblum has an audition oh. for England, my England, but the director feels that Goldblum lacks the anger needed for the part. <laughs> He's tall. It's not called the ink. He picked the tall guy. And he was thinking, Love it. Great. Love it. Oh, that's so great. Love it. Uh, and the reason he hasn't seen this one is it's not from a movie, but uh, bless his heart for mentioning it. So I've only listened to a story about my number one pick, but I think Tom can probably speak to this one a bit more. It deals with someone having to say a manly handshake ensues yeah. during an audition. <laughs> yeah. Twister. Huh. Twister, yep. I auditioned for Twister, and the, the script was misformatted, so I stopped for the other guy to deliver his line, and the idiot was like, no, it's your line. It's written right here. And I'm like, you guys want me to say this? And they're like, well, it's in the script. I'm the only one in the room who realized that a manly handshake ensues was a direction, not dialogue. And it made it into the stupid – it's in Twister. Poor Philip C. Hoffman was also told the same thing when he got the part, as well he should have instead of me, and he has to say – a manly handshake ensues to uh, Bill Paxton. It makes no sense. It's ridiculous. It's a formatting error. That uh, who directed that? It's not Rennie Harlan, is it? Jan de Bont, right? Yeah. 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 Jan de Bont can't read a script, uh, even if he, he can direct a movie, but he can't know how to read a script. It's. I'm not convinced Philip Seymour Hoffman didn't know it was a stage direction. I think he just Im- improvised, whereas you choked. <laughs> <laughs> Fair point, Kelly White, and I wouldn't call it choking so much as explaining to everyone else in the room that they're idiots and I'm not. If you, which they love in an audition, yeah, but they love you, that. If you'd done what he'd done, we wouldn't have had a Philip Seymour Hoffman. You would have been. Oh, and he would still be alive. Oh, yeah. Thanks for making me feel bad, Kelly Wand. Philip Seymour Hoffman choke in Boogie Nights as well. well. That's the thing. Tom would have played that part, which of course he's typecast for. <laughs> 
kiss me if you want. Everyone talks about that. Oh my god, oh, I'm such an idiot. I'm an idiot, I'm an idiot, I'm an idiot. <laughs> Poor guy. Yeah, All right, nobody, nobody picked Ladybug, which is the, one of the reasons we, uh, I think Lady this was inspired. Ladybug? Ladybird with the run, running danger. Wow. <laughs> yeah, there's a famous audition scene in that thing. It's Ladybug. You, you, audition, know that you audition for soccer teams, as <laughs> Kelly Wand would do. Well, I had a, my runner-up, but I disqualified it because it wasn't technically an audition. Ah. Is, uh, from Dragon, the Bruce Lee story, there's a scene where he's oh, – Yeah, Kano. where he plays a, a singer and dancer who's trying out for Broadway plays. Right, go on. <laughs> he, he's trying out for, uh, for Madam Butterfly. He's playing uh, the assistant houseboy for the Green Hornet, but they're shooting the scene, and they but they're just like, you can take these stairs. Can you? Is there any way you can go down the stairs like uh, like five at a time? He's all, yeah, I'll try. And then they start shooting, and he just like kills everybody in the room. And then like the guy and the white guy's like, kill the lights, and he like kicks the the ceiling light, like just jumps straight up and like bashes the light bulb. Oh, yeah, and right before the scene, Robert Wagner is, like, the director, and a guy comes up and he goes, hey, uh, did you know that guy's Oriental? And Robert Wagner's all, yeah, he's supposed to be Oriental. The part is Oriental. So <laughs> just make sure he keeps the mask on. This is an Enter the Dragon, a kung fu movie? No, it's a biopic about Bruce Lee. Oh, like, oh, okay, it's okay. It's the dragon, not Enter the Dragon. Who plays Bruce yeah. Lee? Is it... Jason Lee. Brandon. Jason Scott Lee. Yeah, not, no, Brandon Lee was dead. Oh. The but they offered it to him, but it was he made the crow instead of us. So they gave it to Jason Scott. Yeah. It was also really good. Oh, huh. boy. Uh, there's a movie that you guys won't know. It's too obscure. It's called Trust Me, and it is written and directed and starring a little gentleman named Clark Gregg. Uh, and he what? plays a of, oh it's it's really I mean you've talked about that yeah 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 he he plays a former child star who was like was a, a an actor as a kid who grew up and sort of turned into Clark Gregg who wasn't a super handsome dashing guy so he becomes a talent agent instead of an actor and he's yeah. representing child actors uh, and he's got a great cast in it it's got it's like some good Allison Janney stuff in it uh, yeah. Sam Rockwell is like his nemesis. Um, but at any rate, there's a, a, a lovely young lady. She's got to be about you know, like like 14 or something in this movie, uh, and she's got a really – her name is Saxon Charbot, and she Ugh. plays a, a very talented uh, young actress who he accidentally discovers and tries to represent. And there's a scene, and you got to have this in these movies, where you discover that she is really talented when she reads dialogue, like from a script, uh, and it's him auditioning her and this young lady, Saxon Charbot. You find out, oh, yeah, she's really good. It's a cool audition scene. So the weird thing about Saxon Charbo is if you look her up now, some something happened in the last, like, four years where she went from 14 to 18, and now all the pictures of her online are this, like, super hottie, buxom blonde chick. It's super uncomfortable seeing those and thinking, wait, that was the little the little cute girl in Trust Me. It's what like happened? Disney girls. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Right. Yeah. So at any rate, Trust Me. Trust me, is a lot of fun too because it's all it's all Clark Gregg. I like Clark Gregg's audition scene with Thor in Thor, where he finds out what his training was. Right, where did you get your training? Right, yeah. Afghanistan, Pakistan, Bosnia. Did we get all Chris Markinson's picks, by the way? We did, yeah. So those are all the listener picks. What what runners up do you guys get? 
Uh, all right, one of my uh, all right. So the one where it's just sort of an incidental contact I, is is in Rushmore. I thought there would be like auditions in Rushmore because he puts on plays and that. Yeah, but it's really just where he <laughs> bumps into Margaret Yang in the hallway, and he's like, um, "What do you do during sixth period?" All right, come over here. You know, uh, we can get you out of that. She plays guitar. <laughs> that during, she plays guitar during sixth period. And he's like, ah, we can get you out of that. Right. So it's it's very much like uh, one of those meetings that Tom and I were just talking about, but it takes place in the matter of a couple of seconds. And then, of course, the Boogie Nights thing was what I was thinking about. Um, uh, my son, when I talked about um, auditions, he immediately brought up the auditions in Seinfeld. I know this doesn't count. Don't get all crazy, you guys. Uh, but the uh, but Kramer's audition in Seinfeld, uh, which Markinson helpfully gave me a, uh, a gift for, because Kramer wants to audition to play Kramer in the pilot of Seinfeld, uh, and then he has to run off and go to the bathroom. Um, <laughs> and Kiernan referenced that to yeah. you. Cause okay. Because he just thought he thinks that whole sequence. I think it's people, where Kiernan knows Seinfeld. Well, he and I are watching it together. He lo- he I really love it. he loves the show, uh, yeah, I, and yeah. I was nervous about showing it to him because I thought he'd be bored by it. But he loves it. Um, the one that good, that yeah. that really there was there were two that vied for the number three spot here over the producers. One is uh, called um, Velvet. I think it is. It's a Roman Polanski movie where an actress comes into audition and then she has to yeah. do the audition by uh, by uh, memory. Ven- no, that's Venus in first. Venus yeah, in no, first. that's Thank great. You. It's based on a book. Yeah, look, that's a great one, Dingus. I, yeah, I really love that audition. But what's I, the I, actor who plays the uh, Matthew? Li- oh shoot, what's his I name? I can't remember his name. Um, but I I, I, I keep I keep messing up the the titles uh, the titles of a uh, Velvet. Morning and and Venus and Fur. Uh, it's and, Venus and Fur. I'm just I cheated and looked it up. Matthew Almarek. I like that. Oh, guy thank you. Yeah. yeah. And I really love that audition very much. Uh, but I just I got more joy out of the producers one. The other one is the commitments. Um, it's the uh, it's all that goofy opening sequences or the whole getting the band together sequence where the, where he puts the ad in the paper and people start showing up to his door and his father is like, why, why are you here? And turning them away and they're playing different goofy music and playing some, it, but it's, it's basically all just kind of musical slapstick. Uh, but I really do love the commitments and I think it's a, I think it, I don't know. Watching it again this week, uh, I love the music in it more than I like the movie. I, I'm afraid. As much remember as the like blonde girl. Parker. Yeah, well, everybody does. But I remember the the dude who who was the singer who turned out to be the singer because the whole thing is this whole feeling of of you know um, uh, the Irish or the uh, you know. That whole feeling of uh, of of we're the blacks of Europe, and and this and how we bring soul to Ireland, and how if you have soul, come here and sing this, uh, or come here and and audition for us. Uh, and I like the structure of the movie, but I like the music more than I do the movie. So I think everybody does. Yeah, even those who yeah. haven't seen the movie. Those are all my uh, runners up. 
but I really right. love this topic, Tom. Let me change y'all's number one picks to La La Land just to make sure everything's All right, go ahead as intended that. here. All right. <laughs> Kelly Wand, what 3x3 three three will we be doing uh, on April 29th? All right, I looked this up, and I don't think we've done it. Hmm? Um, but it's one you guys probably won't like because I like ones where it's sort of about you too, like your personal thing. Talking mm-hmm. about Bono? <laughs> What's with you and the Irish, dude? Jesus. <laughs> Seriously, if I could bring the house down, it's very serious. It's very personal. So, three people living or dead you'd most want to watch a movie with, and then which movie? If you have options for that, send them to 3x3 at quarter to 3.com. No, 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 no. You have to repeat that. (laughs) You're not going to get the skirt away on this one. Hold on. What are you talking about? Three people living or dead you'd most want to watch a movie with, and which movie? See? Three people living or dead I'd most want to watch a movie with, and what movie? You can just say three people because all people are living or dead. That's true, but I don't want people to think it can't be Napoleon. But, but Kelly's going to come up with, the, with like people like Zaphod Beeblebrox or somebody. I mean, you can't. Jesus, say, with the Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy dingus, what's up with that? They have to be real people. Okay, ah. they, okay, good. I'm glad I nailed you. Because Zaphod Beeblebrox is neither living nor dead because he doesn't even exist. Good point. He's a character. Although yeah. if there's any universes, there's probably one with them. Or maybe well, if I hadn't four. said that, you would pick characters, and you say characters are people. Oh, dude, you're so dumb. <laughs> <laughs> I agree with that, but that doesn't change the fact that you will skirt around any of those things. What's with you and the word skirt? What are you thinking about right now? So often you address well, me. Well, I just watched Raw, and there's a lot of panties in that movie. Scottish kilts. So there you go. I gave the web address for the three by three, and I think I defined the topic. Tom, what do you think of my topic? Three people living or dead? You must want to. Oh, yeah, I'm sorry. Three people you right. must want to watch a movie with. And right. Movie. Yeah. What I think of it is that we will be discussing it on the podcast we record on April 29th. So make sure to get your picks in before midnight Pacific. Oh, yeah. April 29th. You've got all month. Give it some time. Think about it. We'll remind you over the course of the next few podcasts. Um, and then send your picks to 3x3 at quarter3.com. And Kelly Wand, hopefully there will be a lot of anime plots involved. Find some way to work no, that into it with all the names. People. <laughs> but I was going to say, they don't have to be dead while you're watching the movie with them. Like they've been resurrected. Like you're not just I watching. I see. Them. Right. So, so magic is involved in this one. Yeah, it's a magical 3 Very good. Right. I think right. it might be the so, first time it's happened. Let me just ask this, and I'm sorry to be pedantic. So I hate are, you. I know you hate me. That's fine. I'm sorry. Uh, I'm are so. all three going to be at each movie, or is it one movie per person? One movie per person. All right. Wait, what do you mean? I mean, you mean one movie and three different people? No, I mean, would I have, like, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost all watching a movie with me in all three movies I'm watching with those three people? Or is it, like... My mom, I would watch this with. My dad, I would watch this with. Uh, my son, I would watch this with. Okay, this first part of your question, I've always been a little puzzled by what the Holy Ghost is. Like, it just <laughs> kind of showed up afterwards. It's like, yeah, it's a Trinity, you know. And it's kind of like Godfather and Omen, where there's kind of two that are real movies, and then there's a third one that feels like some kind of nightmarish abomination, like the Holy Ghost is. 
Like, I don't think he's in charge of it. I don't think we're all supposed to be. We'll we'll see when the Passion of the Christ sequel comes out. The Mel Gibson's working on. But. Kelly, one I could listen to you talk theology for hours. <laughs> theology? <laughs> I was talking about. It's a walk the on a slippery rock religion. Um. So yeah. Uh, so is, please, this it's very one, serious. It's one person per movie. I'm just trying to parse this. I'm sorry. It's like for that you, riddle. I read the rules because I like you. <laughs> While as Tom, whom I despise, I'm going to be very strict with. <laughs> so, if you're a listener, I, you know, you know, they're going to write what they're going to write. Thanks, man. <laughs> All right, so send those to us uh, next week. By the way, we're going to check out Ready Player One. Oh, works movie. Yeah, I can't wait. It's going to be awesome. That Ty Sheridan. Oh, that's what I like him. Join us. Join us for that. We'll see how that movie turns out. I'm Tom Chick. I've been here with Christian Murnowski. It's Christian Murnowski. And did he get the part or not? Kelly Wand. If aliens receive our transmission of Apollo 18, will they know it's fiction or will they just laugh at us for having dumb astronauts? Dingus, my inseminoids are really acting up. Can you rub this on me? Stop mind-fucking me, then. I prefer that we be more capable and prepared than lucky. Observation, reflection, faith, and determination. In this way, we may navigate the path as it unfolds before us. All right, and we have, what, eight more recharge cycles to go before we get to Aurigai 6? Is that a question, sir? Yes, Walter, that's a question. That is correct. We've made more podcasts than Jesus Christ. <laughs> it's true. What's the problem? <laughs> <laughs>